and talking to our friends. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Bob's Lace Awesome Sauce. <laughs> A bunch of shapes. <laughs> and Matt Schreckbein. Awesome! Yeah, we're all here. We're all here. That was great. Hey, it's guys. great to have you back on the episode, Matt. Yeah, it's sort of... It, it's always a catch-22, because I really enjoy listening to the... I, I don't oh. need to be on here <laughs> to enjoy oh. it, you know? last week was a great episode i'm glad you enjoyed it yeah i was gonna ask you about that but i figured i'd just ask you on the show yeah that was a great episode i really enjoyed that and thank you again mark tweedo for being on and sharing all that with us and just like going all the way there it was a it was a heavy episode i was so glad we could share that with everybody yeah that was a great episode we're an all hellboy podcast we're reading all the hellboy stories and we're doing it in a specially designed reading order by multiversity's own mark tweedo and we also interact with our listeners every single week, and Danielle's going to tell you all about it. Oh, you you consult the wizard, and you fly kite with the wizard, and then no, you. So we we're going to read a story and tell you we're going to tell you what that story is, and you read it too, and then we're going to talk about it and be friends, and that's friendship. And then you're going to send us an email. That's hey damn guys, and then you're going to say hey damn guys. I li- I was talking about that story that we were reading and talking about. And then we're going to tell you another story. And that's what Aubrey does. Back to you, John. (laughs) Great. That was awesome. (laughs) That was a good one. I loved it. And I want to mention these eBay auctions that are going on. You know, Mike Mignola has been going crazy on social media, just drawing all this weird, wild stuff. He did the Count from Sesame Street. (laughs) Kermit the Frog. It was super cute. It was really good. The Count was like the cutest thing ever because he draws a lot of Draculas. Yeah. But seeing the Count was a good choice for him. Like a Muppet Dracula. It was cute. Anyway. I texted Scott Alley and said, hey, he's really killing it with all those sketches, huh? And he goes, oh, yeah, he's doing some amazing stuff. And I said, if I were you, I would text him that he should be doing some Star Wars characters. <laughs> and he was like, he was like, nah, he's probably too busy. And I was like, just shoot him a text. Just say Vader. <laughs> stuff like that. And he's like, he's like, look, Matt, if I was going to do that, it would be about different stuff than Star Wars. And I was like, that's OK. Just ask him to do a Jawa. <laughs> <laughs> just trolling scott alley incredible awesome. <laughs> amazing oh that is so great yeah but there's also these awesome ebay auctions going on and these pieces are going for a lot of money but it's raising i think they're giving all the proceeds to really good causes so yeah check that out if you have that kind of money to spend you know and you're interested in some of these sketches that he's been doing you got to check out those ebay auctions they're amazing maybe some dark crystal stuff yeah, that. that would oh, be cool. Be so cool. Think about that. Yeah, just Muppet related stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That's what, what about I'm, like exactly. Falcor? Yes, whatever. exactly. <laughs> Never knew store. I was just about to say that. Wow, we're on the same page here. Yeah, and I want to give a quick plug to Twisted You Workshop. Thank you so much, Eddie and Amy Ola. Oh, I got a lot of positive feedback on that Hyperborean <laughs> sword that I got commissioned. What do you guys think of that? Yes, that was Fuck so cool. Me. It's that so was big. Amazing. For a long time, like in in the fandom, we had that guy with the homemade lobster Johnson suit, and that was it. We were all like, "Yeah, that's cool. That's like the coolest thing any anyone's done." Right and now, like you could see a million Hellboys, right? Right, like cosplay or whatever. But that sword has got to be a one of a kind. Oh right? yeah, no, it is. And I was kind of holding it close to the chest. You know, I, I told Aubrey about it, but I was 
messaging woodworking people. I talked about it on a previous episode. I was yeah. like, man, I'm going to have that sword made, a wooden version or something. He did a really good job And with it. Uh, I sent out messages to all these different woodworking people, and everybody just didn't respond. Right. Except for this one guy in the UK, Eddie Ola, from Twisted U Workshop, and he was so awesome, and he was so excited to make it. So I just want to give them a big shout-out. They were great to work with. You know, I actually could not afford the piece at what he commissioned it for. Um, but he let me make payments, and so I actually broke been it down, yeah. I, I've been paying it off for a oh, couple whoa. months, and I finally was able to pay it off. So he was so cool. He worked with me really well. And he was really excited to make it. He did such a great job. It's excellent craftsmanship. Yeah, it's really nice. I mean, it's down to the last detail, and it smells good. Yeah, too. well, like the the the, uh, oh, the, the the blade is like a pine birch. because yeah. of the color, he decided to use that, and then the handle is oak. And he commented on social media when I shared all the pictures he said it was great to be asked to make it always love a commission that i don't know of because he makes a lot of swords for fictional right. things and, and so stuff he like maybe that. had to look at some references yeah about well i sent him those yeah. sketches from the back of the Witchfinder trade handy. paperback handy yeah it's those. got the designs by mignola of the two pieces how they fit together and so he actually made it like that That's awesome yeah it was really cool so he used the mignola just, sketches as a reference for how to make it of course That's yeah super cool yeah I just think that, okay, so like having a Hellboy podcast <laughs> gives you certain status as like a fan, but anybody can start a Hellboy podcast. Not anybody can have that sword. So that sword elevates your status. <laughs> it just does. It puts you in a new, like now people are like, oh, that's the bar, right? <laughs> I was psyched about the troll, about, about the troll witch spoon. Yeah. And now we've got this thing. Yeah. And it's... I'm going to yeah. wield both of them. It's yeah. very... Uh, <laughs> it's got a little leather strap wrapped around it here. It looks great. Even if, the nail looks like it's been handmade. Like, Oh, yeah. Me, the weird nail nice. that's holding in the leather straps. I'll take some close-up pictures. Anyway. No, it's good. If you check out this website, www.cinnamon.video slash twisted underscore you underscore workshop, you can actually see some of the build videos. And I shared those on Facebook as well, where he shows you how he built it and everything. It's really cool to watch. So, again, thank you so much. I want to give them a shout out. Dude, oh, that is super awesome. I, when I, I saw I, those pictures. I was like, holy <laughs> shit, you got it. <laughs> and uh, Jerry Turnbull, he did you see how he put me in that Howard's panel where they yeah. say, <laughs> that was great. Yeah, dude. It was yeah, so funny. Great. Anyway, yeah, dude. see now you got to get like now you got to get yourself some goggles. Got to get the shirt. I ha- just... I've I've actually thought about getting the goggles, and so that's a conversation, some prescription ones since I wear glasses. So I might actually do that. I'm working on it, so I'll just say that. Oh man, I just think it'd be great, and then do a photo shoot because I think you'd make a badass Howard. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you for saying that. I need to work out more, but um, <laughs> but yeah, that that's the plan. Hopefully, I was also thinking like as I've been growing my hair out, I could maybe do an Ed Gray too. So we'll see. You know, we'll we'll see what I'm able to do between now and so then. So you're a cosplayer now. Nice. Just in this specific sense, you know, uh, that's actually something that I wanted to shout out. If like any, if anyone knows any foam sword makers. Because I would like to have a foam one made because of, I wouldn't be able to allow to take this into oh, a con. Oh, definitely not. No, you know what no, I mean? But, yeah. but it is something that I wanted to have. But I would, if I was going to go to a con, I would need to have a foam version. So if someone knows a you foam You know who knows how maker, to make stuff out of foam is furries. You got to get on furry Twitter. 
because okay. there are a lot of makers on there who can do that. Probably. Awesome. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. And the anime kids, all the anime kids can make that impossible foam shit for yeah, sure. Yeah, that would be cool too. So that's something I'm looking to do next. Those anime kids can make anything, man. Oh yeah. Like they can make. I a wish lot I knew how to make stuff like that. Yeah. And I want to thank Skeleton Crew for retweeting us this week. Make sure to check them out for all your awesome Hellboy stuff. I wish they would make a version of the sword. They could make like a real version. I don't know. They would have to be like 25 of them or something like that. Right. I mean, that's kind of a lot. Even that is a lot. Like, what would they, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. They should still do it, though. (laughs) (laughs) And I also want to shout out Taji Merson on Instagram. He said, your guys' podcast is amazing. Keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. So that's the plan. And that's what we've been doing. And, you know, Aubrey hasn't been able to come over. I was just telling him before we started recording how much I miss him coming over because we would just also just hang out and shoot the shit and have a beer and stuff like that. So... Anyway, uh, we're, the plan is to keep on going as, as long as we can. So we're sticking it out. And thank you, Aubrey, for now calling in every week. Oh, good, man. I miss you guys, too. <laughs> yeah. Friendship. Friendship. And now we're going to go on to our listener feedback section. You read a story. We talk about it. You hate them guys us. It's a book club. Get out, we got a Hey You Damn Guys from Get Brian Levy. Brian Levy. Book club members. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Man, the conclusion of Hell on Earth. How did you get here so fast? I just want to take a moment to appreciate how sprawling the story got during this period. We were introduced to so many characters, had so many concepts expanded on, so many spin-offs. It's just so big, but yet it always felt very intimate and personal because the character work coupled with the art was literally always excellent. What a series. We also have to say bye to John Arcudi writing this series here. I don't even have the words to describe how thoughtful and smart his writing is on this series. He writes about all the big concepts of life so fluently and clearly. He's obviously a guy who's done a lot of serious thinking about our purpose as people, the meaning of life, what it means to die, etc. I think that's part of why BPRD Comics connect the way that it does. When we get to parts of the story that have big philosophical messages, it feels like you're sitting around with your best friend talking about what happens after you die, but it's all wrapped up in these beautifully crafted characters and their arcs at the same time. It just feels like people. We know these characters. Reading this chunk of Mignolaverse stories also brings back some really vivid memories of my first few years living in New York. I'd take a train to this awesome comic shop in Park Slope that literally only sold comics, no collectibles, no Magic the Gathering packs, just comics and comfy chairs to sit in, and I'd grab my Hellboy in Hell, BPRD issues, and just walk around the neighborhood with a coffee and my BPRD comics. Good memories. Yeah, Matt, so somebody else walks around reading their comics too. Nice. Yeah, good. <laughs> Anyway, thanks again for doing the podcast. I'm so glad I've gotten to kind of know you guys and the Greater Book Club member-verse. Reading these comics was always so solitary, and now it's blessed with the magic of friendship. Brian Levy. Yeah, thank you so much, Brian. And he also said, Passover blessings to you all. Aw, very nice. Thanks. Book club member verse. Yeah, I love that. that. He did. That awesome. He did just coin that. That is so awesome. Yeah, and we'll talk about the book club member verse later because we actually had an idea. So anyway, we'll talk about that. We also had a Hey You Damn Guys from Jasper Duffy. 
He said, I'm writing from a different time. The most dramatic thing that happened to you guys recently was the release of the movie. So I'm still oh, catching wow. up. Oh, wow. That was a, that was, yeah, that was. Wow. Yeah. That was quite, uh, that was quite that a time. Uh, when we went and saw the movie, that Facebook post we did came up on my memories like Aww. last week or something. Yeah. It was like a year ago last week or wow. something. Yeah. Yeah. He's, wow. He said, and he said, you guys are just catching up with Daimyo via James Heron's insane art. Wow, that feels like a million yeah. thousand years ago. <laughs> I hadn't heard of Daimyo a year ago, and thanks to the movie, it got me so interested. I hit the BPRD omnibuses hard. Then I found you guys. It's been such a thrill to not only immerse myself even further into the Mignolaverse with the amazing reading order and the research you guys do. But hearing Aubrey and Danielle go through it for the first time and how they react to the twists and turns of all the gang, fucking Devon, etc., adding Matt's experience has been a real treat too. It's weird thinking I'm a year behind, so I don't know you guys from a present time other than Twitter, etc. But in this crazy time of quarantines, it's important to stay connected somehow. Thanks so much for the show. It's bringing a great normality to a super weird time. Hope you're all keeping safe, and hopefully it doesn't take me another year to get our timelines back in sync. All the best. Yeah, thank Aww. you so much, Jasper. That was so great to hear from you. And I guess you'll hear this in a... Yeah. I'm speaking to you from the future. Book club member. <laughs> yeah. Or from the... It's from the, the past yeah, in the future. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. It's, appro it's appropriate for all the Howard stuff yeah, and all that, right? Yeah, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> it really is. Who knows what time Oh, is. man, that was actually so sweet. Yeah, <laughs> thank you so Thanks. much. It feels weird that he won't hear us talk about it next week. He'll have to wait a while. But anyway, we'll see. I don't know. It sounds like he's burning through the episodes fast. There you go. Yeah. We also got a Hey You Damn Guys from Joshua Worley. He said, regarding Johan and the sledgehammer armor, one thought, or I guess it's been headcanon for me, or maybe it's just a whacked out theory. What if Redding is a manifestation of a numb? Back in Iron Prometheus number three, Professor Galaragas is having a conversation with Jim Sachs and talks about how he named the fork on the back of the suit a numbs fork, how he was able to harness the Vril, named after one of God's Watcher Angels, the first rebel, how he dared to reach in the sky and steal a handful of God's own power, Flama Reconditus. He goes on to say that Anum was destroyed for this. But what if he wasn't? What if this suit gave Anum a means to manifest in the conscious or whatever soul put it on? Yeah, I thought that was an interesting theory. That is so what do you think about that? Oh, that's a really interesting theory. I like see, that's the thing about these books. Is that it? I don't know. It's fun to think about. Right? Yeah. They don't explain things as much as they throw enough out there for you to you know, go down rabbit holes. Yeah. And I think that's that's the beauty of it. So that's, I hadn't heard that concept before. That was great. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. And it could be, yeah, it could be as simple as, no, well, he just named it after this watcher. You know, but I do like thinking that there could be something deeper to it. Lassie Jurgensen also messaged me on Facebook. He said, a couple episodes ago, you talked about wanting Peter Snyberg back drawing stories for the Mignolaverse. When I talked to him last year... I asked him if he would return. He said he didn't have any plans because he worked mostly with Arcudi, and so Arcudi was, I guess, requesting him, or he would work through. He got a lot of work through Arcudi. So since Arcudi's not with it, I don't. He, you know, he they had a connection there. So I thought that was interesting. It's actually kind of interesting to hear that it was. Uh, I guess that it was more the Arcudi connection that was bringing him into the Mignolaverse. That is a good point because it's like, how, I wonder how much the writer has, you know, to say of like, hey, I want this artist. You know what I mean? Like, 
what is the um, in terms of the collaboration? You know, because I know Scott Alley talks about we'll get to it, but he talks a lot about how he was a big fan of the Fumaras and stuff like that. And so, you know, they did yeah. all, they did all of the Abe series. So yeah, that's interesting. I mean, it doesn't preclude that he will never work in the Manilaverse again. It's just, it's just, it's an interesting connection. Jason Abaddon said when we talked about that Nazi homunculus, listening to Danielle talk about how a homunculus might realize they're on the bad side, I got to thinking about Roger. I think he took a bit of Liz's soul when he took her vril and gave it back. I think it expanded what he was and let him grow beyond his humble origins. His tallow brother was filled with bitterness and hate, so he never evolved. Yeah, what do you think about that, Matt? You're a big Roger fan. Yeah, again, I mean, I hadn't thought of it that way, him taking on a bit of Liz's spirit. I I guess this might be nerdy, but uh, my mind goes to, is that a rule? Are we allowed to do that in this universe? Has that happened before? Oh, right. You know? Okay. Like, has, has is that pre-established? You know, like we were just saying, you go down certain rabbit holes, <laughs> but that, that seems more of a philosophy. Right, you know? right. But yeah, I mean, it's interesting for sure. And, you know, that's one of the reasons I was so bent when they killed off the character of Roger, because there was a lot of stuff to expand on yeah. and to explore about him. And I was like, oh, no. We were just, you know, I felt like it was just getting up to speed and it's over. I think it's fun to theorize about him, especially because of that reason. Yeah, and I felt like they did have a connection. Like, when I think about it, don't they play the events from his point of view and he's like, she wanted to get rid of it or he could, like, feel that she, you know what I mean? And he wanted to come back to life. And so what is that about, too? You know, I've never really thought about it that way. But, yeah, it's just fun to think about these things. And and. You know, it's kind of open to interpretation. I, I remember, like, how we, we used to first, when we first started the podcast, when we first started talking about Roger, and we were talking about how, like, he seems to take on the traits of the people yeah, that he's around. Yeah, he did do that. And so, the first time we meet him, he's sucking the fire out of Liz, and then he gets to put back in there. But then, like, Hellboy gets to meet her. So, maybe that's, like, his path to starting to kind of, okay, so Liz did awaken a part of him that allowed him to start going down that path, and then took on the traits of all the other members of the BPRD and ended up with Daimyo as like a perfect soldier. Right, right. And then also after he died, there has to be a connection between Liz and Roger because then Liz moved into Roger's room. Right, yeah. Well, that, and that's yeah, what... and he, no, go he ahead. basically saved her in Hollow Earth, right? Yeah. Yeah. But look, it's, it's real heavy, the Liz and Roger thing, like at the origin. Right. That was a serious tone. But then, like, Hellboy names him Roger in the car on the way over, and you're like, oh, so... It's fine, yeah. <laughs> you guys are having a good time. This is a comic. Maybe you're not supposed to take it that serious. Yeah. You but know it was, what I mean? No, it's like it was, a moment of levity. There was, yeah, no, exactly. There was it's some really heavy stuff, and then it kind of brightens up a bit, so maybe you're like, oh, well, this, this might have a happy ending, so, you know, yeah. look out for that. But I... I do agree that the tone was very serious until that happened, which it's interesting because what Aubrey was saying, that ties into what Aubrey was saying. You're right. Like until he got that spark of the like the vril, it's almost like he didn't have a soul. Mm. And then that kind of was like, oh, now I've got a personality and I'm a, it's a whole thing. And then where he ended up is also kind of a clue to that. I don't think a whole lot of golems end up there. Right. You know what I'm saying? 
I think he was a special case. Yeah, I think yeah. It had no, to do was, with that yeah. with with Liz and yeah, that's, that's I, an interesting theory. Yeah, because I think it had to do with Liz. I think it had to do with that real energy. When the Marquis shows all the other golems that he's collected, they're all just like yeah, little trolls, or they they look very unsophisticated compared to Roger. I don't think they're yeah, and even if they're you know, even if Roger wasn't a sophisticated guy, I do believe that he was like the team. I think he did have a soul and he ended up in that place because of that and i think it's like he almost like it was almost like a a thing where you earn your like he earned it kind of a deal where it's it's almost like an allegory for like oh you can believe yourself into existence you can dream yourself into existence and think yourself into existence and like it what you do does matter and it doesn't ever stop mattering you know whether whether or not you did something shitty here Mm. you can still go on and keep living and 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 end up in a place that is good and i think that that's like wherever he started that's not where he ended up Mm. and so i think that has a lot to do with liz and so their connection really did play a strong part i agree with that that it played a super strong part in uh where he ended up yeah awesome and look at look at come at the hour i mean after that arc we know that vril is basically limitless power and the key to everything yeah right but what it's you like, do with it, Matt? Like, what will you do with all your power? Like that? Yeah. So I, I think, I think the idea that maybe you could literally take on somebody's spirit through Vril, especially yeah. when you're both being powered by it or or kept alive by it, I think that's totally possible. Yeah, and I think it's also it kind of is a really obvious example of how you can shape yourself through that right. power. It's like it's a kind of a very obvious allegory to me, I guess it says a lot more about me than anything else, but it's like, you can use this power to shape yourself in any way you, ch- and so the choices you make are going to shape that. And so we saw all the different various paths and choices that Roger made. Yeah. And it's, it ended up being a very exaggerated Roger is this way. And it was, it was really interesting. I think. Hey, the version that, that never happened, the Nazi version right. of a homunculus. Right. What was its name? Oh, Kalski. <laughs> That name was taken from like a sculptor, right? Yes. Okay, I remembered listening to that episode that there's a great documentary about that sculptor. It was on Netflix. I'm not sure if it is now, but oh, it's out there. It's okay. very cool. Yeah, I remembered after. I was like, oh, yeah. I'll have to look for that. that. Um, I also want to shout out Ross Radke. He said, thanks again for shouting out Stomped on the podcast, his Kickstarter. So, yeah, I'm excited for that. It's going to be funded, and Matt's going to be on that, too. And we were talking about what we were all reading, and he had actually sent me this message a while back, and I, I just missed it when I did the last episode. He said, I just realized I've been on an oversized format kick. After devouring the first two volumes, I'm reading the third Harrow County Library Edition by Cullen Bunn and Tyler Crook. I also recently read Seven Deadly Sins by Chun and Trakhanov and Sentient by Lemire and Walta from TKO Comics in their oversized box set format. Most recently, I picked up the first two issues of Daniel Warren Johnson's Wonder Woman Dead Earth, which is also in the wide page format. In other words, I've been spoiling myself with a ton of amazing comic art lately. Hope everyone is staying healthy. Yeah, and I got a shout out that Wonder Woman Dead Earth, that book is amazing. Are you checking that out, Matt? Yeah, I love it. I'm like the biggest Daniel Warren Johnson fan. Yes, yes. I'm so glad. Did I introduce you to him? 
yeah, through Murder Falcon. Awesome. He's just the man, though. Yeah, yeah, I'm so glad. Yeah, he's amazing. So, anyway, that's a really great book. Hopefully, the next issue will come out eventually when we get comics back. I'd love to see him yeah. design. <laughs> What do they call it? The turnarounds or whatever. Well, I would love to see him design an animated show. Oh, some the characters or some the whole world, like whatever. The concept like, art. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would love to see him design a, an animated, like your Adventure Times or your right, yeah. your Steven Universes or whatever. You know, you've got the very specific animation stuff. I think he's just so brilliant. His yeah. stuff is so good. He's awesome. It would be so cool. We had some feedback on Vavara, the evil little Russian girl, Matt's comic that we talked about. Dustin Comics said, this is the best villain in the BPRD series. With bold, all of Bold. There are so many. <laughs> I know, but so. well, we haven't uh, we haven't finished, so you know, we, we know that she's still out there at the end of Cometh the Hour, so we'll yeah. we'll have to see, right? Sorry, no, go ahead. I didn't mean to That's okay. Wes Mattis said, I think we need a trade with all of Matt's Hellboy BPRD stories in it. I would buy that in a heartbeat. Yeah, so we need to put in your your Mac the Hellboy and Mac the Dog cartoon that somebody requested last week. Yeah, and then we'll put all the rest of them together. (laughs) Yeah. So just do that real quick. (laughs) We had some feedback on Cometh the Hour. Last week we had talked about that image where Kate kind of collapses near the console and she's like, she doesn't know what to do. Uh, Mark Tweedo had shared it, and Lawrence Campbell responded. He said, cheers, Mark. Loved Kate and the conclusion to Hell on Earth. It was incredible to draw. Yeah, and Lawrence Campbell has been retweeting a lot of us oh, lately. Nice. Yeah, so thank you so much. Jerry Turner. Oh, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah that's nice. it's always awesome when uh, one of the people that actually work on the book like gives us some attention on social media. I get very excited about that. Me too, I get giddy. <laughs> Jerry Turnbull said, BPRD 145 was a complete roller coaster from start to finish. I had a feeling of dread going into it, but I had no idea what was about to happen. When Kate took Ponya's hand, I was trying to come up with a marvel DC way in which they were saved at the last minute, and I kept hoping we would see... That in the next issue. Oh, you sweet summer child. And then the giants show up. Man, I thought, finally some hope. Something good is actually going to happen to change things. The panel with the giants supporting Pandemonium is just epic. And it shows just how far these guys have fallen. And then the next page, holy Toledo. I had no idea what was going to happen. I was sure Vavara was going to continue toying with Yosef possibly forever. To completely end him, destroy his soul, just reminds us how abhorrently evil this demon is. I was drained after reading this issue. Yeah, that all that happens in the first... No, wait, in the second issue. Yeah. So here's the thing. Remember at the end of the End of Days story arc, Yosef has like a cracked helmet. He's chugging vodka. Right. So he's essentially dead. He's not, I mean, he's a zombie, right? Yeah. But we know that without the containment suit, he can't survive. Then he's in hell with Vavar, and he's got the suit back together, and the helmet's intact. So I was thinking... Oh, that's his, you know how in hell people are suddenly a skeleton? And so we were saying, oh, the rest of the time they're their projected version of what they look like oh. on Earth oh, yeah. or, or before hell. So I think that's him seeing himself. I don't think he's, he's like extra dead at that yeah. point, right? Because he's a zombie who can't live without the suit. And now he's in hell, but he's got the suit on. I don't think so. Right. So I think wow. when he spread out on the rocks at the end there, I think that's basically what he really looked like the whole time. 
and that it's his essence or his soul. And when she stabs him, I, I think that's more her saying, I'm a lord of hell and I'm allowed to say who can be here and who can't exist here and you can't exist here. But I think he was gone. Wow. Is my point. Because You're why blowing was, my you mind. Know? Yeah, this is... Wow. Yeah. So hell's like a really weird place. It. Yeah, there's no time in hell and the way you look in hell isn't accurate all the time. and It's really weird. That's a great theory. I love that, Matt. And the sad part is he's like dead, dead. Yeah. <laughs> Extra dead. I like when you yeah. say that. But do you have more room to enjoy the character because they took him to hell. Right. You know, I like that. We had talked about the imagery that Lawrence Campbell drew of those cormorants, the great cormorant that follows them around through hell. I was always, uh, I always wondered what that meant or what that imagery was about. I really liked that Danielle was the one who pointed me out to the cormorant fishing parallel. And Drew Campbell said, one of my favorite video games of all time, The Last Guardian, has elements inspired by cormorant fishing. It's an incredibly beautiful game that I highly recommend. And it's on PS4, so yeah, I definitely want to check that out. Jason Abaddon said, I think they were digging into an homage to the horror novel from 1986 called The Company. There's a killer BBC miniseries adaptation starring Ray Fiennes that can be seen on YouTube. Yeah, I want to check that out. I guess there's a great cormorant like flying around or some sort of symbolism. Interesting. That's cool. Cormorants are pretty great. So When we talked about... Those um, Lawrence Campbell doing Mignola. Remember when they go into hell and they see we see that those imagery of Mignola done by Campbell, and I put them side by side on our social media. Drew Campbell said, "I don't know. This one looks like the same drawing, other than a couple of very small differences in the inking. I can't see any differences. I think that was when we see Hellboy's throne." He says, I yeah. wonder if some of these are Campbell inks over the original Mignola pencils. If this is an actual redraw, that's some incredibly precise recreation. Remember yeah. I said I went back and looked at the credits. I was like, oh, did Mike jump in here for a page or two? But then when you put them side by side, I was like, that could be the same drawing. Yeah. But so he wasn't in the credits, right? No. Mm -hmm. Huh. Yeah, that was very cool. Regarding Kate, Drew Campbell said... There are two conflicting principles that leaders must consider. One is that, as a leader, they are vitally important to the cause, and if they die, it could mean the loss of the war. The other is that they are directly responsible for the life of every soldier under their command, and it is their responsibility to protect and preserve those lives, even at the cost of their own, if necessary. This is the no-one-left-behind or the captain-goes-down-with-the-ship mentality. Both of these impulses are valid, reasonable, and even honorable. But sometimes a choice must be made, and Kate made her choice, and proved what kind of leader and what kind of person she is. Now, my first reaction was to be angry with Ponya. She forced the choice. If she had just gone along with the evacuation plan, she and Kate would have both survived. Or if she was determined to let her own life end, she could have talked to Kate about it. And Kate could have granted her wish and still made it out. But honestly, I don't think that would have changed anything. I think there's no way that Kate would have let Panya die alone. Panya lived a human life in ancient Egypt and then spent thousands of years dead or half alive in a sarcophagus, only to be awoken beyond her control in Victorian times to be treated as a curiosity and ultimately a prisoner. Her life with the BPRD was better, and she was treated with dignity. But what Kate did, and what I believe she would have done regardless of how Panya approached the situation, was to give Panya the gift of knowing she was loved. Not only did Panya not die alone, but she died feeling loved for perhaps the first times in thousands of years. That's what kind of leader and what kind of person Kate Corgan is. 
May she rest in peace finally. I thought that was great, yeah. Drew. Thank you so much for saying that. Yeah. One thing I noticed listening to the last two podcast episodes again was there's a lot of parallels between what Panya is saying to Kate and what Redding is saying to Johan. And there's some interesting contrasts between Kate and Johan, too. I mean, they're different yeah. situations, but they both had opportunities to move past all this into someplace better and didn't. And they're both being urged to go in directions that their gut is opposed to. Right. I'll, I that was I'll really agree with that. No, I agree with that. Yeah. That's, really, that's yeah. a really interesting observation. I like that. Well, and it also made me think about, this is one of the things I forgot to talk about last week. It made me think of Alice and an unmarked grave. You know what I mean? Kate made a choice there, too. We talked about mm -hmm. it. And at the time, I think Jason Abaddon had even made a comment that said, this is where Kate made her choice of what's going to happen till the end. But I didn't read that feedback because, you know, that would have been spoilery at the time. Didn't Alice offer her to stay there with her, right? Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. So that made me think about that, too. And we didn't we didn't talk about that last week, but I thought that was really interesting, it, especially after what Drew Campbell said. Jason Abaddon said this should have been the annual drinking podcast. I think we're all going to need one or two. Yeah. Break out your tissues and Kleenex. Break out your paper towels. It's the Hellboy Book Club. And he put the crying emoji Aww. after that. <laughs> Kate and Panya. I wanted them to go out swinging with a curse on their lips and blood in their teeth. And Anung responded to his comment. He said, for real, the storyline right here broke my heart. This is the way it was always going to go. Looking back on it, it's obvious now. The other two losses in the storyline hurt just as much. So he's talking about Yosef and Johan. Mm. There are very few storylines that actually bring a tear to my eye, but this one hurt in a big way. It's a love-hate kind of thing. And that's kind of what Mark Tweedell said as well. Tales from the Chris said, You guys had me getting all emotional while doing yard work today, when you got to Johan's final moments. I had a fire going, burning old branches, but the tears in my eyes weren't from the smoke. Aww. <laughs> Aww. And Ryan Yule, he put, Me after listening to today's episode. And he, it was that gif of Andy Dwyer from Parks and Rec, where oh, he's yeah, trying he's to interrogate. He's, not crying. he's like, I'm not crying. So yeah, so yeah, that was funny. And, and thanks, Ryan. He always shares the awesome collection. Of course, you knew he had some pages from this story arc. Uh -huh. He has the very oh, yeah. cool two-page sequence from 145 where Liz is exhausted and fighting, and then she like falls out of the sky and Johan catches her. He also has that incredible panel with the defeated angels supporting Pandemonium on their backs. That one that we talked wow. about that was referenced so by Mignola. Cool. He has that one. He also has the final page of Hell on Earth where Phoenix is walking off with Bruiser and we see all the animal hybrids. So yeah, I thought that was amazing. Nice. He also had an interesting comment. He said the single issue on Comixology doesn't have the letter by Hanamine Shannon. The letter that I read last week, it's not in the digital version, which I thought was so interesting. I wonder why they would take that out. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, Matt. So you that's... read the single issues. I meant to ask you, what did you think about when you when you got to the end of the effort, that issue and you knew you were going to have to wait 30 days and then you saw that letter in the hell mail and nothing else? Uh, before I got to the end of the issue, I texted Scott. <laughs> Just I, I texted him. <laughs> Kate with a question mark, and it was on New Comic Day, so he knew what I was talking about, and he said, yep, that was all he said. Oh, and, wow. Uh, and so I had immediate confirmation, <laughs> so when I got to the end, that actually kind of like softened it a little bit for me. Right. 
that that letter i was like oh okay so first of all everyone knows i love a good letter right yeah and second of all <laughs> that's the place for it in, in at the end of that issue in that comic and it almost seems fitting to me that you can't get it elsewhere it's more authentic that way mm. you know yeah it, it carries a heavier weight maybe that's what i kind of said to mark tweedell too it kind of was a buffer for us that were reading the single issues because he said he didn't get the letter because he read an advanced copy and it didn't have that oh, in right. it. But um, so he didn't really get his confirmation till the next issue. But I felt like for us who were reading it and getting the actual issues and stuff like that, it kind of buffered that a little bit or made it a little bit softer. Yeah, so I totally agree with that. I just got to say, though, that that letter did perfectly capture everything that the character stood for. Yeah, it was great. I mean, it it was you can't just get anyone to say like if they asked me to do it, I'd be like, I'm not the right guy. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like you need this to be from someone's personal perspective. And I thought that that was very fitting. Yeah, it was great. It was a great letter. I had a tough time getting through it. You know, when I edit the episode, I make it sound all fluid. But there were a lot longer pauses between the parts where I just had to like swallow for a little bit before I could keep going. He was crying. <laughs> Oh. oh, so, no, that's funny because Mark said on Facebook, he said, thanks for editing out my sads. Aww. Yeah, because Mark <laughs> was having a hard time getting through the episode as well. But anyway, that's the kind of stuff that's just for us while we're recording the show. And then we, and then I edit all of it out. They, the boys <laughs> didn't want you to hear them crying. <laughs> Um, but I wanted to mention Ryan's links. If you go to our About section on Facebook or our Podbean page, you can follow those links and check out Ryan's whole collection. Although, um, if you haven't read the whole thing all the way to the end of BPRD, because BPRD is actually not over, there's another big arc that we're going to get to. There's, there might be some spoilers in there because, you know, of course, Ryan has some of those big pages as well. Yeah, so it is. It, it, There's it more is, for real? Yeah, there is wow. more for real. And uh, With what characters? <laughs> you'll see. All you'll, right. You'll I guess. Oh, well, we still got Devin. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I want a whole issue that's just all these uh, weird animals. Yeah, the hybrid animals. Yeah, yeah we'll see what they do. Yeah. You know, I forgot to mention it. When we see that big, that last page that Ryan has. Um, if you look in the corner, there is a little one that's kind of standing up, and I'm like, oh, that's Jesse, the uh -huh. pelican monkey or whatever. Theropod from the north said the imagery with the watchers holding pandemonium up and then rising to battle. The dragon is pretty epic. Somewhat disappointed we never got a plot with the watcher turned Roman god Pluto, who used to rule hell before Satan and his cabal took it over. And then Jason Abaddon commented, yet. Yeah, you never know, right? We could always yeah. get that. Yeah. Eves Turingi said, a neat little trick you didn't mention is the rear of Nikolai's suit looks an awful lot like a skull. And so, yeah, I went back and looked at that. If you look at those pages where he's in hell and they show him from the back a couple times, his the back of his suit does look like a skull. It looks like one of those Mignola skulls. Mm. I didn't catch that. Nathaniel Green said, anyone notice how strikingly similar the chest design on the Watchers is to the buff flame? Mm. And he posted a picture of that. And I think somebody did mention that, right? There, There's like that ribcage effect going on. And Works we see like it. Glowing. Yeah. And we see it on the Watchers and those panels that I posted. And then the buff flame also has something like that going on. It's a, I mean, it's a cool effect. It has, it has to do something with the Ogre Jihad because the Watchers created the Ogre Jihad and the buff flame was part of the Ogre Jihad, or he said, I am the Ogre Jihad, so I think it has something to do with that. Well, then, Landis Pope was trying to simulate that mechanically, 
yeah. in his original suit. Mm. Right. It's, mm. it's all about harnessing stuff going on. Vril energy, right? Right. Yeah, I probably. Mean, yeah. It all comes back to that. I want to thank CLA comic book binder on Twitter at CLA bindery. He has the original art where Kate and Ponyo hold hands Aww. that last moment. Wow. Yeah. He said, I love this panel so much to the point where I bought the original art. Looking forward to the next oh, podcast. Man, that's awesome. Yeah. And Mark Tweedell replied to that comment. He said, that was one I had my eye on myself, but I realized it'd be too difficult for me to face some days. Aww. It's good to know someone that cares about the series has it as much as you do. Friendship. Yeah. And West Mattis said, powerful and upsetting. It's amazing how much emotion this panel has. And CLA Comic Book Binder also has that image that I posted today, actually, where the Watchers are fighting the Octor Jihad. Um, That's an awesome image by Lawrence Campbell. He said, you're picking a lot of images that I love, so I bought them. Excited for the podcast. So, yeah, thanks for sharing that. Some other people have some really good pages, too. So, yeah, if you want to go over to our Twitter, he reposted those original arts. So, yeah, they're really great. They're worth checking out. I saw some James Heron pages on eBay the other day. It's a really cool page, and it was going for a good price, but I just couldn't bite the bullet on that right now. We had some conversation about... Marvel's the Pelican Monkey, or Danielle, you said Kevin Marvel's Jesse is his full name. Marvel's in quotations as in the middle, right? That's great. And Ross Radke said, wait, what? I thought Marvel's was his canon name. You damn guys just made that oh, up. Oh, no. Yeah, we did oh, just I'm make sorry. that up. No, yeah, Kevin and Marvel's were just like, we didn't know what to call the guy, so we just yeah. started calling him that. But then we found out that his name was Jesse. Yeah. So that's, yeah. Sorry. Sorry, guys. No, I like our headcanon that, uh, that his full name is Marvels <laughs> as the nickname. Yeah, that was a great name it. for it. When I posted about the Watchers, Mark Tweedell said, I love how the Watchers diminish over time, their fire slowly fading away. Yeah, so we see it like get smaller in those images that I posted on our social media. Wes Mattis said, holy crap, I had no idea how similar that they were with the chest of the Watchers and the Giants. I would have not made that connection. So cool. That's why it's a book club. Yeah. And Harsh Bits Insta, he was talking about how it's similar. The imagery is similar to the Giants and Garden of Souls. Remember, they were going to make themselves Giants and harness all the souls of everybody. And so, yeah, visually Mm -hmm. very similar to that. Jason Abaddon said, I want a clear bed lamp of the Watcher that brought forth life. That Anum panel. That, okay. that's, a, that's a great yeah. idea. All right. <laughs> and Wes Mattis also commented on how they bear a resemblance to the Black Flame. He says their eyes also look like Lobster Johnson. It's interesting how in the Watcher's transformation, they just have less and less light and then resemble humans. Whoa, that's deep. That is interesting, though. Yeah. That is very interesting. Well, unless you think it's been talked about enough. I was going to weigh in on the Bruiser situation. Oh, yeah. You had some feedback on that. Yeah, and we had some feedback from Matt Strachvine. Go ahead, Matt. <laughs> so when Panya's creatures were let loose, I thought that was a smart move. After moving to Colorado and experiencing wildfires out here mm. and the occasional biblical flood, I, I realized that they let horses and livestock go free because they're better off on their own. And, you know, at least not trapped in a barn or stable or wherever, right? So keeping in mind that they're herbivores, they can survive easily um, or easier than a domesticated carnivore could, like Bruiser, the pet dog, for example. Now, personally, 
I'll stay with the dog until we're both done for. Like, it doesn't right. even have to be my personal pet. I'll hold <laughs> the animal above water while I'm drowning. Sure, yeah, like you do. Um, but in the most drastic case, like the end of the world, I think there is a line of thinking that applies to a domesticated animal, leaving you with two basic options. Get the dog to safety or put it down because it actually isn't better off set free no. now that it's been trained to rely on a human. Yeah. And I think Kate was, mm. you know, illustrating that point, those two options. And right. it's just like her to be blunt about it. But I think it was in the comic because the creators were giving us a scene that help us feel that sense of dread that comes with the situation where you oh, might have to yeah. make those kinds of horrific decisions yeah absolutely so i think that yeah. was the logic there but also the the reason for putting it in the book and mm. that's why this is it, a book club thank you for talking me through that because that that sits so well with me and i can relate to that so well and i i guess at first it was so shocking to me that i was like what the fuck is this me but too. Yeah. after you yeah, i didn't like it at all ta- after you said your piece there and and I and talked us through that that really resonated with me it's like yeah of course but she's got to get it done now it's got to happen now she doesn't have time to be diplomatic about mm. this and that's her whole thing oh, is right. she's okay. she's always so like fresh with like all right I guess we gotta do it like this now oh my god she's always weighed down by this bureaucracy and she's she's got to be diplomatic about everything she doesn't have time for that now like you said it's the end of the world it's apocalypse time so she's got to just she's got to have this happen now and so the way that you explain all that really resonates with me and you know what i've reversed my position on that she's trying to make a point she's not going to shoot the fucking dog yeah. she's trying to make a point it's awful right. it's awful but she's trying to get this dog taken care of she needs someone to take care of the dog and that's you know what i mean that's just the way that she felt like she had to do it and that's, i mean um, i think like okay we know phoenix has abilities right she's special and the dog was her protector in a lot of ways but it's totally irresponsible to take that dog cross country during the apocalypse on all those demon like adventures. You can't do that. That right. That dog should be somewhere safe, but it's a comic book. Yeah. So go ahead and do that. Right. But then they put a gun to the dog's head and you're like, no, 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 no. (laughs) That's a great point. No, that's a great point because the danger is obvious and immediate when they're on adventures. It's like, Oh, a dog is on adventures with a girl that has superpowers. Surely nothing will happen to this dog. And right. but then when someone's pulling out a gun to the you're like wait hold on right. this just got too real I don't like this so but thank you for walking me through that and walking all of us yeah. through that because yeah. that makes a lot of sense it's a very visceral image where we're all like wait a minute yeah hold on well yeah go back and look because all of Panya's animals are grazing after they let them loose they keep showing them like looking down eating yeah, yeah. they seem to be able to, do. to take care of themselves they seem to yeah. be a capable of doing that but dogs as a domesticated animal may not necessarily be able to do that the other thing in colorado is you're your pet's legal guardian yeah like it's so there are real consequences to not being like a legal guardian you're not just yeah right good it's not a novel yeah no it's not a yeah yeah good feedback there matt yeah thank you for that thanks and now we're going to go on to our book club episode for the week Previously on Abe Sapien, after wandering around trying to find his place in the world and finding out that Broom knew more than he revealed about him and his past through cassette recordings that Broom left behind. Abe traveled to England where he encountered Alice Monaghan, who is now the current Queen Mab in the last garden that sprouted from Hellboy's blood when he was killed. Alice told Abe that he has to go and that he won't destroy anything. It's the opposite, she told him, and encouraged him to face his destiny. 
Meanwhile, Strobel, after also uncovering Broom's cassettes, went to St. Sebastian to encounter the jellyfish, Numyabisque or whatever. That was the creature that he learned about. There he was transformed into Ichthyosapien, he called himself. And then after that, he swam down to Davy Jones' locker and killed the current Bog Rouge and vowed to take his place alongside the Ogdra Jihad at the end of the world. Abe Sapien, The Desolate Shore is a one-shot published in August 2016, written by Mignola and Alley, art by Sebastian Fumara, colors by Dave Stewart, and letters by Clem Robbins. And I want to talk about the cover. So this cover is amazing. And it's yeah, who a, is that? Oh, right. Is that Abe or is that um, yeah. Strobel, right? It's hard to tell. And this is a direct wow. parallel to Hellboy the Wild Hunt issue 7. So if you go back and you look at that cover of Hellboy the Wild Hunt issue 7, it's got Hellboy in the Beast of Apocalypse version with the horns and everything, and he's like towering over this destroyed city. And so it's a great parallel. I'll definitely be putting those covers side by side on our post this week. Ooh, can't wait. Yeah, and that city, the destruction beneath the Abe figure right. here, looks like a cemetery. Like all those stacked uh, tombstones that you would see in Hellboy in Hell. Right. Yeah, that's a great parallel. Mm. Thank you for pointing that out, Matt. Don't you love how the cemetery in Hell is just like a pile? Yeah. Love it. Stuff. <laughs> love it. <laughs> Anyway, I'm jumping in. No, it's a great aesthetic. <laughs> and to open up this issue, we're actually going to jump to Mark Tweedell really quick. So now we're going to go to Mark. So all the way back in the Black School, there was uh, this opening, three-page opening, with this little kid called Milo with his Uncle Richard and his grandpa. At the time it came out uh, in the singles, I remember readers were kind of baffled as to why that sequence even existed. And it's only when we get to the desolate shore that it becomes apparent that this was a framing device to show how much time has passed. You can see Milo has grown up quite significantly while Abe's been away. And this is one of those things where uh, it works a lot better when you read the stories close together, and this is where our reading order kind of sucks. Because you read The Black School all the way back in um, episode 66, and we're at episode 89 now, so we've had like 23 episodes in between those two points. Sorry about that. You know, things in uh, Hell on Earth and Dark and Terrible were getting pretty somber. We needed a break with uh, Lobster Johnson. But yeah, you do lose some things by taking that break. And that was one of the things that uh, ended up being a minus. Sorry. Thank you so much for that, Mark. Yeah, so he I think he was kind of hard on himself on, oh, yeah. on, no, uh, yeah. on, on that. Yeah, before this issue, has Abe been swimming back from England? Yeah, right? I guess, yeah. So I feel like the gap in the reading order is appropriate because it's like, okay, and so when, when Abe's swimming all the way back right. yeah. across the ocean, we'll be reading other books. Okay, he's back. Let's get back to it. Yeah, yeah. It just felt like it worked. Yeah, thank you so much for saying that. You're absolutely right with that. It's very appropriate. And so we open in North Carolina, and we see this man and this boy. We learn it's his Uncle Richard, and the boy's named Milo. He's still teaching the boy Milo how to fish. And I noticed, like, there was, like, a grandfather or something there, too, and he's not there anymore, right? Right, yeah. Oh, right. 
Milo asks if this is the rapture. Is the world ending? The uncle says, the ocean looks the same as when he was a boy. The world keeps spinning. Everyone thinks they're going to be there for the end. But someone once said, every day the world is ending for somebody. And so here he's referencing Margaret Atwood, Canadian poet, novelist, literary critic, essayist, inventor, teacher, and environmental activist from her book, The Blind Assassin. So Margaret Atwood is also a comic book writer. It's a weird book, so you know. Nice. Um, Cat, bird, vampire. I can't remember. It's weird. <laughs> if you read any Louise Penny mystery novels, there's a poet in that book. And every now and then there's some poetry. And it's Margaret Atwood doing it uncredited. Oh, oh wow. wow. That is so cool. Oh, wow. What an interesting little detail. Uncle Richard tells Milo that the world has been through a lot. It'll survive just fine. This isn't going any place. And as he talks, we see this helicopter fly overhead. It's the Coast Guard. And they spot something that looks like Abe coming out of the water. Okay, this scene with the helicopter took me back to Plague of Frogs. Okay. Uh, oh, right. They're in a helicopter. Crab Point. Remember, they all fall out. Or at least oh, somebody yeah. does, right? Yeah. Yeah. So there's two pilots and almost like in, in a very similar situation where you're over their shoulder looking out the windshield. And anyway, it just reminded me of it. So I, I looked it up and I'm glad I had my plague of frogs trade out. Cause that's not the only time in this issue that I was taken back to that. We'll get to that. Awesome. Yeah. And coming back to the Frumaras and to this a book, you really, you're they it has its own tone. It's very kind of like, these first couple pages are just kind of setting this scene and it really kind of warms you up back into being in this story again. I love how the books have a different feel. Agreed. But they see this thing coming out of the water and they think it's a frog, but they haven't seen any of those in a while. And so that's another yeah, indication that was, that's of small, how much that time. Was, yeah, we thought that was a big there, deal, yeah. right? Wish you had those frogs back. They call it in, and they take a picture of it, and that picture is the same one that we saw Liz reference last week. And so we're going to cut to Mark Tweedell again. He's got another note for us here on this detail. So Hellboy in Hell, BPRD Hell on Earth, and Ape Sapien Dark and Terrible all were supposed to have their endings intersect, and they still do. But because of the delays with The Exorcist, Cometh the Hour ended up coming out a little later than it was meant to. So what was meant to happen was uh, the first two issues of Cometh the Hour would have come out in tandem with uh, Hellboy in Hell, the final two issues. And then when you got to Cometh the Hour uh, Part 4, that would have come out around the same time as the final issue of Abe Sapien. So you can kind of see how these things would have intersected a little bit, where, you know, you see the stuff with Abe and then you see the Bureau reacting to it, you know, in the very next month. Obviously, it didn't happen. I mean, and you don't lose that much. You really don't. But it's still interesting to see what would have been. Thank you again for that, Mark. That was great hearing from you this week. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Do you remember that, Matt? Were you like, you were, because you were reading it every single week, right? Yeah, I was loving it. Um, we all thought, you know, the readers thought we we were um, loving it when they were doing them monthly. <laughs> and then it started coming out weekly with all the different books and, you know, pie in the sky, as they say. Yeah. I'm just looking to see publishing date for Abe came out in August, BPRD came out in October. Okay, cool. So, John, are you going to put the side-by-side -side of this one and the one from um, last week? Oh, yeah, I can but, definitely uh, do that. I can definitely do that. Yeah, they look very similar. I didn't even think about that. It almost looks like the same panel. It almost does, but of course, 
it's probably, but it, I, I was like noticing like the text and all that. And I was wondering if that's something that um, Tim Robbins added. Oh, right. Lettering, yeah. Like It'd be neat to see them side by side to see if they match up kind of perfectly. Yeah, I'll definitely do that. And so as this thing emerges out of the water, we actually learn that it's Strobel. It's his transformed self. He is near, he says to himself. And we can tell it's him because he's got his nose, that scar on his nose where, man, I forgot what that baboon demon was that scratched his nose off. He's got a real black flame vibe. Yeah. Yeah. Which I don't like. But (laughs) he starts off right away by saying he is near. And I'm like, all right, uh, just shut up. I don't want to hear this. (laughs) We don't need to. This guy's going to be nothing but ridiculous prose. Yeah. We see that's a, not a that's not a knock against the writer, by the way. That's oh, just yeah, like yeah. a oh no, bad it makes guys. You hate the character. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's done. They did a good job of making the yes. villain bad. Back that's to how you, you John. Know, yeah. <laughs> I think I hate trouble almost as much as the black flame. Yeah. <laughs> At this point, <laughs> and, right? Uh, and and Gilford. <laughs> Gilly boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we see Abe swimming underwater. He pulls himself up. Right where the kid and his uncle were fishing. And so they get all freaked out when they see him. Sir, please relax, Abe calls. And he introduces himself. I'm Abe Sapien, a government agent. It talks, Milo says. Frogs talk now? He isn't one of those frogs, Richard says. What are you, Milo asks. Bet that's the million dollar question, huh? Richard responds. And so, I like this. We keep getting these flashbacks as this scene goes on. You know, or as this issue goes on, Abe is like remembering all these random things. They kind of put it in there. And of course, Dave Stewart like colors it in this tone where you know that it's a flashback. And so here we see him after coming back to life after being killed in BPRD Plague of Frogs. What so am that's I? Crab yeah. Point. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Okay. This guy's very perceptive. He's just like, I bet this guy doesn't even know. Yeah. Don't be so hard on him. <laughs> like, he's already. When just a second ago, he was just like, oh, Abe's just like, calm down, sir. I'm just a monster. It's nothing to be afraid of. Abe asks Milo, so you're just out fishing? Yeah, but it sucks, Milo responds. Jeez, all right. Abe asks, Abe asks, what's up since he's been gone? And Richard tells him probably not much has changed. He says they killed a big monster out west, but the others are still hanging around. He says the world is getting stranger and stranger. Not for the kids, though. They never knew the world any other way. They deal with it. They probably have all the answers. Don't you, kiddo? Richard says, putting his hand on Milo's head, and he's like, no. So I love the, 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 the expression that Fumara gives him. It's great. Oh, man, it's a classic kid. <laughs> so when he says they killed the big monster out west, they're referring to the Audrey Jihad, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Okay. And good more respect there, Mr. Man. <laughs> <laughs> Just then there's this huge crash. Strobel breaks through the pier. He calls Abe half-man, a mere measure for the end of mankind. And so, yeah, here he is with his, like, kind of boastfulness. Right, so he's like, I'm an entire monster, so why don't you... <laughs> Milo and Richard take off. And Abe has a memory of King of Fear, where he told the Black Flame, I'm nothing like that monster at all. Strobel smashes Abe into the pier. Everything you were meant to be. Everything you could have been, he says as he chokes Abe. And Abe has a memory of Megan from Dark and Terrible Deep, telling her that people decided he had a big role to play in all this. And that's why he left the Bureau. In the present, he fights back Strobel's hands. 
I was willing to die to be that great thing, Strobel says. You're an idiot, Abe responds. Jeez. Strobel says he's the true Ictosapien after Abe gave up the mantle. It's not that's not oh, how that brother. works. <laughs> yeah. How pathetic. He's like not even trying to be the beast of the apocalypse. He just wants to be pals with the beast of the apocalypse. <laughs> it's so lame. He'll really? he's like, Oh, yeah. maybe I could be his best friend if I do this. Come on, man. Come on, dude. He is so lame. I hate this yeah. guy. That's great. No, that's great. Fuck this guy. <laughs> we see Milo and Richard sinking into the water from the fallen pier. Strobel says, if Abe could only see what's to come, if he could call it down to destroy Abe. The Vril, Strobel says, it's alive in the sky. It ripples. And here Abe remembers Ponya. All right, man, why don't you have some orange slices and <laughs> go to the tent? Abe remembers telling Ponya that he's got the mind and soul of a man when he left the bureau. Strobel tells Abe he had to know someone would take up the faith that he ran from. Man is ready to move on. He thought Hellboy would lead all the devils and he would be at their side. What a dope-ass page. This is so cool. It's great, yeah. And it's flashing back to that awesome Caruso art that we saw in Witchcraft and Demonology. I like how they reference that. I think Duncan Figueredo did a version of that, too. And we see, I guess, what Strobel would look like if he was pals with the yeah. Beast of the Apocalypse. <laughs> like, what? what is he wearing? He's like, oh, oh man. And I'll have a cape with fur. I'll be in a fucking and, metal and band. And oh, be great. man. I have and like a, a double belt a, like you've never seen. Put some dope props for the stage show. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they'll really dig us was, in Iceland. This picture of him right here, he looks like he looks like middle management. So his entire yeah. dream in the universe is just to be in middle management. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that reminds me. He, of... He's like that guy from um, Office Space. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna need you to come in on. Saturday. Yeah, exactly. Well, speaking of how pop culture has completely ruined our brains, I want John to put that little clip of the office in where Jim is talking to Dwight, like, "So you're in your wildest fantasy. You run a B and B in hell with saying you're not even the boss. Oh yeah, that's or whatever. Right. Yeah. Eighty thousand oh, dollars." It's my greatest dream come true. Welcome to the Hotel Hell. Check-in time is now. Check-out time is never. Does my room have cable? No. And the sheets are made of fire. Can I change rooms? Sorry, we're all booked up. Hell convention in town. Can I have a late checkout? I'll have to talk to the manager. You're not the manager, even in your own fantasy? I'm the owner. The co-owner. With Satan. Okay, just so I understand that in your wildest fantasy, you are in hell, and you are co-running a bed and breakfast with the devil. Yeah, but I haven't told you my salary yet. Go. $80,000 a year. That's great. Anyway, no, that's great, Aubrey. But then also, like, if you notice, like, his belt looks similar to uh, Hellboy's in the background. So yeah. He's all like, he's all like, See? But We're it's buddies. got less. It's the same belt. It's got one less. That's great. <laughs> matching belts. Yeah, matching belts. He, yeah, he, and he does rock the Lemmy Chops, but... And he's, like, ripped all yeah. of a sudden. <laughs> like, he's really muscular. Wait, and... is this, like, his own, like, his fan art from his <laughs> yeah, journal that really. we're seeing here? Yeah. It, oh. is, it is a spectacular image, though. No, it's it looks good. pretty no, great. No, it looks great. It looks oh, great. Yeah. It's just... Instead, Strobel stands by a greater race as humanity is replaced by a new race of man. And me, they're Adam, Strobel says, kicking Abe across the pier. 
He continues, how could Abe let this opportunity pass him by? Maybe if this was meant to be, they would be brothers. Two of us. We're not like the things you once fought. Yeah. As he talks, Abe remembers telling the priest in Dark and Terrible that he had nothing to do with the frogs or the mutations and how Devon thought that he was the Antichrist. And so, yeah, we've seen this a couple times in these Fumara alleys where it's like flashing back a lot. And so it's really hard to describe it in this audio format. This is, you know, again, this is how they're kind of playing with the format a little bit. And we've talked about that a lot through these series. And so here we're kind of so used to it already. But um, I really enjoy that element of these books. On the very next page, there's a bolt of lightning. Strobel says the race of man is meant to continue in this form, our form. There's not meant to be just one of us. And then there's that bolt of lightning. And I think with all this flashback stuff that's going on, this is Abe. He's dealing with this internally at the same time that this guy's spouting off. Oh, I love that. And that bolt of lightning to me, that also, you know, because I said I had Plague of Frogs out. Okay, so when Abe is having his like out of body experience. Yeah. And he he's there for his own origin. He ends up in a hospital. And there's like a bolt of lightning outside the window. And then all these frogs fall out of the sky. Oh, right? wow. It starts raining frogs, but the lightning is real significant. That is helping him flash back. Yeah. And I think that, you know, in a minute, he's about to make a decision here. You can see the bolt of lightning and then he makes a fist. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and Strobel says, and you, you were first, Abraham. And what does first mean? Because there's the whole, was it the chicken or the egg thing with right, Abraham yeah. and Langdon, right? And, and the, um, the, the shaman that he was that we know now. So I think this is Abe, that bolt of lightning just brought it all home for Abe. And he was like, I'm fucking done with this. Yeah. It's so cinematic yeah. too, to think that like, I like how you said the lightning is kind of helping him have the flashbacks and stuff like that. Yeah. It's just, um, I, I love that. It, it's uh, I can see that in my head. I think the comic book is like, okay, well we've been given flashbacks. Let's keep it going. Right. Right. And it, I, I don't think that this is something that Abe thinks next. I think this is part of his internal monologue. Yeah. Because he is part of something. Because he says, I'm not part of anything. It's all alien to me. That's before he realized who he actually was. Right. Yeah, that's when he's talking to Gene and New Race of Man. And in contrast with what Strobel's trying to convince him of, he knows that he's not what Strobel says. Yeah. And it's not all alien to him anymore. And that's how he knows. I love that. Strobel approaches Abe on the ground. I can't destroy him. Maybe this is his destiny. Since the Black School and Learning in Hell, it's made Strobel a leader of men, from Gerard to Guilford to Covellus. All his wisdom learning him to this end, to lead Abe to the path that Professor Broom and the BPRD led him away from. And then we see that lightning again, right? Yeah, and it was, see, it's going boom, like in Plague of Frogs, it was Broom. B-R-O-O-M, like more of a broom, I guess, right? But still, the sound effect, it's just like Plague of Frogs. That's awesome. you got to go back and look at that moment. I'll have to put some of those uh, panels side by side. That's going to be fun, doing all the 
the lighting. Oh, yeah, yeah. Dave Stewart does an awesome job. And that's yeah. another thing about, you were talking about um, how Strobel kind of resembles the Black Flame. You know, Dave Stewart, the fact that they have him on all the books, it really lends all that, uh, you know, continuity. We see Milo is hanging onto the pier, but Uncle Richard has gone under the water. Horrible. Horrible. This is horrible. Strobel tells Abe that he thought he'd be a general in Hell's army, but his fate is to be a teacher, nay, a savior to him. Yeah, and no, so I, know. I had the same. Re- I made the same sounds when I was yeah. first reading this. I was like, ugh. And we see Abe. He makes that like grimace with his mouth, and then he does what we've all been waiting for. He whacks Strobel aside, sending him flying into a car. And the way that he lands and the car buckles, like I really love yeah. that. You really feel this that. Shout hit. out to Kerrang magazine because this is this oh, onomatopoeia yeah. here yeah. is very. <laughs> Maybe Kerrang took it from a comic book or something. Yeah, I yeah. Don't know. What is Kerrang anyway? That's like that's not a word, right? Anyway, very well, Strobel says as he emerges from the car, and Strobel goes back at Abe, slashing him across the stomach. So you do have some fight in you, Strobel says. I'm done running, Abe responds, and he punches that no-nosed creature from the Black Lagoon wannabe down into the water. (laughs) Yeah. Boom, lightning crashes again. Excuse me. Named after the onomatopoeic word that derives from the sound made when playing a power chord on a distorted electric guitar... Oh, right. Kerrang was initially devoted to the blah, 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 blah. So, yeah. Awesome. I, it's, it's an onomatopoeia, though. Yeah. You, you were right. You guessed right. That's, yeah. that's super cool. That's interesting. Abe dives under, pushing Strobel through this wood from the pier. And he bashes him into it, stabbing him through with the broken debris. Crack, he's impaled on. It looks like he's gone, and Abe is like, I'm not done with you. Oh, okay. Yeah, I see what you mean. It's like savage. Yeah. And now look at his chest. Like, yeah. Especially on the next page. Right. Doesn't he look like the Watcher's chest and yeah. the Black Flame's oh, chest? Oh, okay. Wow. Sort of like Grill can't exist there or something. I don't know. Yeah, I love that. That's so great. And these panels are amazing. So in the sketchbook, if you uh, when you look at that, the fumaras, the the red is in the pencils. You know what I mean? Oh, it's so cool. With like wow. like it's painted into the pencils. Wow. So these pages are actually black and white and red. Dave Stewart and you know, of course, incorporated that into when he colored it. So yeah, really amazing these two pages. Those would be some great ones to have. Okay, so when we turn this page and he just impales Strobel on that broken piece of the pier, I was so satisfied <laughs> because we've been dealing with Strobel through this whole series, just talking shit, being a fucking pompous blowhard. <laughs> see him when he actually stands up to fight, Abe just kicks his ass in like five seconds, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then impales him. Yeah, very satisfying moment. And we see a Milo emerge on the pier. Abe comes up from the water and he sees the impaled Strobel with the wood shard sticking out of him. You're nothing. Whatever you were, you're nothing now. And he pulls the wood out. And that also made me think of, we've seen that a couple times, you're nothing. You know, Hellboy was told that. nowhere, never. Yeah. Abe pulls himself onto what's left of the pier and Milo runs up. My uncle, he says. I'm sorry, Abe whispers. And he's exhausted. Be safe, kid, he says. 
and poor dead Uncle Richard's words from earlier narrate this scene. The world keeps spinning, Milo. It just gets stranger and stranger. Everyone thinks they're going to be here for the big finale, and we see Strobel's body slip down into the water. They can't imagine the world going on without them. Milo runs off, and we see this truck pull up. Is that him? They see Abe, and they think he's dead. And they lift him and put him in this van, and it's got the BPRD logo on it. These agents are recovering Abe. And so this must be the team that Devon had sent out. Remember he said that he sent out a team earlier? Yeah. And we finish on more of dead Uncle Richard's narration. Someone once said that every day the world is ending for someone. And that part's true. But the world itself has been through a lot. It'll survive just fine. The end. Uh, that's uh, relatable. Yeah, really, right? Yeah. At the moment. Jeez. Cheers to the reading order. You know, another thing. <laughs> yeah, about, yeah. <laughs> well, another thing about the reading order and, and Mark Tweedale specifically. I love that he is so, he takes it so serious. Like, you know why I haven't done this? Because I don't have the energy to do it. I'll right. tell you right now. If somebody was like, Matt, could you come over the reading order? I go, maybe, but then I'm not going to get anything else done. Yeah. <laughs> You know? I'm not gonna actually do it. It's amazing what he no, what it's he's incredible put yeah. together. It's pretty cool, and I know that the publisher takes him serious. Oh yeah, yeah. Which and, is a you know the props to him. Yeah, Mark Tweedo has been so awesome, and thank you for shouting him out. He actually had it more interlaced, and I asked him to make them not as going from issue to issue to issue. Like I kind of wanted it more like. Let's all do BPRD. Let's all do Hellboy in Hell. Like bigger chunks. Yeah. And so, but he did have it more interlaced where we would read like maybe an issue of Hellboy at the end of a BPRD arc or something. So and he went ham on that. Yeah. Just... And so actually it probably could have been even more detailed if I hadn't interfered, you know, with, with all of that. But oh, he's wow. done such an amazing job with uh, with the reading order. So yeah, huge but shout good, out to Mark. It's a good balance though. Yeah. The strangest reading order I saw was Scott Alley's. He was he showed me a bookshelf and was like, so here's my reading order. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Wow. You put that book there. Why are you reading all this before that? And he goes, it's just how it works for me. And I was like, wow. And, uh, you know, if you follow him on Instagram, you can see that bookshelf sometimes. Oh, really? I'm going to go. Yeah, I don't know if you can get a clear shot. But yeah, every now and then I'm like, no, there's his reading order right there. (laughs) But um. But the other thing about this, uh, at the end, having the BPRD van with that logo on it, to me, this is like Abe's story, right? It's it's almost like anti-BPRD as far as like a comic book title goes. Right. And they were chasing him down at the beginning uh, with their uniforms and their logos, and he was running away from that, but now they got him. And so I thought that having this big logo like that right in the middle of that first panel on the last page was like, but you can't outrun the BPRD. Right. You know? And it's one of those cool things like I grew up watching G.I. Joe and every time they had a new vehicle or a ship or a plane, I was like, (laughs) I'm buying that. You know, that's going to be a toy in a month and I'm going to go out and buy it. And so it's just kind of cool seeing something that could otherwise be corny, like a logoed van like this. But in the context of this Abe Sapien comic book, and his personal arc, he was trying to outrun that logo. Every now and then, like even at the beginning of this, he's like, it's okay, I'm a government agent. 
Yeah, I, I don't yeah. really know how far you would get with that in real life. If somebody said I'm a government <laughs> agent, I'd be like, well, then definitely back off, you know, but, <laughs> yeah, but sure. he used that a lot and people knew him from that. So I think in the back of his mind, he's like, I can't outrun it. And with all the inner monologue and the flashbacks, I think what he is, is a BPRD agent. Yeah. Sure. I think that whatever he is, the BPRD has embraced him to the point of essentially capturing him because they were they were coming to get him before they knew that he was in need of some medical attention or whatever right right they were just like there he is we got to get him and and even liz is like we got to be on this right so i think like you know at your lowest point as a fish man you <laughs> you can take comfort in that organization sure and and it's it's not as much a family as it is your the last place you can go yeah even if you don't want to, that's where you're going to end up because that's where you're supposed to be. So like, you know, the BPRD bookends, the Ape Sapien series. I just thought that was cool. No, that is interesting. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm also going to go out and buy yeah. that van with the logo on it. Yeah. That's the coolest <laughs> with my action right. figures. Well, that's hardcore. And if you go to, if you have the omnibus version, like we've been looking at here, if you go to 437 in the sketchbook, you can see those pages by Sebastian Fumara where they have the red watercolor where Abe kills Strobel as part of the pencils. You can also see... Oh, so beautiful. Yeah, it's really great. And you can see some of the concepts for the covers and the trade paperback pencils and then the colored version uh, for that last trade that they collect at the end of these stories. There's also a great afterword by Scott Alley. At the end of it, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he does say... We plan for Abe to run away from the BPRD after his transformation at the start of Hell on Earth and decided rather to do that in a couple of issues within the run of that title, we'd make it an ongoing series. Abe would run across America like the old Incredible Hulk series <laughs> or Kane from Kung Fu. Nice. Yeah. Having standalone yeah. adventures in a very supernatural vein as he comes to understand what he is. The Fumara twins had come to us one at a time. The idea of rotating the two artists between the two standalone stories appealed to all parties, allowing the twins to do an ongoing series together, but also to do their own work. Occasionally, schedules got tight and one of them stepped in to help the other, but we quickly realized it was better to limit that collaboration to covers, so these two great artists could really do their own thing. And he also talks about hanging out with them in Rosaria, Argentina. So one of the towns was named Rosario. So I wonder if they named it after that. And there they all got to collaborate and work on the story, you know, and work on all the beats of the story. He says, comics work best when there's a seamless team. And this has been one of the most reciprocal collaborations I've ever been involved in. We're sorry to see it end. And looking back over 36 issues, we feel like we did some pretty good work. Thanks for reading it. Scott Alley. And then there are some great Fumara commissions at the end of this. I'll post some of these on our social media. They're amazing. They've got Hellboy and Abe, um, Little Hellboy and Frankenstein. And then there's this amazing Liz commission that I love um, at the uh, end here. The oh, thing. cool. I was going to say the same thing. That Liz commission is fucking tight. Yeah. Like half of her face is the fire or something like that. It's really amazing how he did that. So I'll post some of these on our social media this week so you can check those out. Awesome. That was an awesome series. And for our next story, we're going to be doing Hellboy in Hell, The Spanish Bride. This is the penultimate chapter of Hellboy in Hell. It was published in May 2016. Story and art by Mignola, colors by Dave Stewart, and letters by Clem Robbins. 
So excited to get back into this Mignola art, right? So at that at the end of the last issue of Hellboy in Hell, you know, he sat down under that tree. And they had that really great image of him just sitting there. And then here we open up on the tree, which is nice. It's kind of picking us up right there. We open somewhere in hell and we see these three devils, former captains of Rumeo and Shax. Rumeo is a fallen watcher and an archangel in the apocryphal book of Enoch. And Shax is the stork demon that we saw way back in Sol Venice. You remember that? I do remember yeah, Shax. Yeah, uh, that was where Roger fell in love with Cloacina. You guys are having a little pity party here. Yeah, sad company, for we are just the same. They were captains, but their soldiers turned on them as they crossed the Phlegeton. And that's a river in hell. There's a little, um, what is that called? Uh, the footnote. Oh, it's, note. It's a, yeah. yeah. And so here on the next panel, we see Shaq's dead. Horrible, one says. That's what <laughs> you say, yeah. <laughs> All the more shame that they let us live, another responds. One says he delivered his master home safely just beyond the Cocytus, another river in hell, the footnote says. But his slaves were waiting and torn to pieces. And so we get imagery of that, too. We can see the, the ring with the fly on it. You got a footnote over there with this one? Oh, it doesn't have it, it doesn't in the omnibus no. version. Okay, so I'm looking at the trade paperback version, and Danielle's looking at the library edition, and it doesn't have that little footnote in so, there. Interesting. It has it on the other page for the other river. I guess oh. I figured they know this river. I thought it was funny how it said a river in hell and then another river in hell. That is good. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Oh, that's so weird. They hear all these other demons are dead as well. They mention Usiel, a demon among the 31 aerial spirits of Solomon. Ram, he's a great Earl of Hell, ruling 30 legions of demons. He's depicted as a crow, which adopts human form at the request of the conjurer. Nice. Samyaza, a fallen angel of apocryphal Abrahamic traditions that ranked in the heavenly hierarchy as one of the watchers. And they also mentioned Moloch, Belial, and Dagon, who I think we've all, uh, I think they've mentioned those before. One says, Belial's captain cut his own throat. Before he did, he said he saw a pile of corpses, all the dead princes and lords. One says he heard Beelzebub is hiding out in his tower with other survivors. Their master never liked him, but what choice do they have? And so I love this art of Beelzebub. And then we see his tower. That is so cool. Is that Beelzebub? Yeah, Beelzebub. 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 Yeah. But no, the art is super good. I I love this um, panel here where it's just like like a portrait of the guy. Yeah, yeah. Super good. Classic. He's got his ring. Yeah. And and um, of course, the colors are amazing as well. But just like, oh, man. Like you said earlier, it's great to see some Mignola. It's, it's really good, really yeah. Nice. It's so good. It starts oh, yeah. off really well, and, too. And yeah, and the panel with the tower and all that. Oh, it's just classic. Chef's kiss. Yeah. They like immediately start talking shit about him. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you know. <laughs> they're so blue collar. Yeah. And these three demons, uh, they're so funny. There's a great note about them in the library edition sketchbook that we'll get to. And Beelzebub, thank you for the pronunciation, is a name derived from a Philistine god, formerly worshipped in Ekron, and later adopted by some Abrahamic religions as a major demon. The name Beelzebub is associated with the Canaanite god Baal. In theological sources, predominantly Christian, Beelzebub is sometimes another name for the devil, similar to Satan. He is known in demonology as one of the seven princes of hell. The dictionary Inferno describes Beelzebub as being capable of flying, known as the Lord 
of the Flyers or Lord of the Flies. Okay. We've talked about House of the Fly House a lot, fly, too, yeah. so I thought that was relevant. That's super cool. And I mean, we don't actually know how that word is pronounced. It could, we, I mean, it's probably not even correct right, that yeah. way, but I guess that's just like the most agreed sure, upon no. Anglican whatever yeah. pronunciation. I don't know. Yeah, I remember um, the first appearance of Mork. Robin Williams' character from Mork and Mindy <laughs> was on Happy Days, and he said that. Oh, okay. Beelzebub. Yeah. That's the only, that's uh, yeah. when I first heard I, I know it from a lot of pop culture references, too. Okay. I think that's just the most, yeah. like, widely accepted English pronunciation of it. I'm Probably sure. very Western. Yeah, 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 I'm sure the original language that it was, they came up with that word is just totally right, yeah. removed from a when i look this stuff up on wikipedia knows. it's always got in parentheses all these different other sure, variations yeah. of the name and i have to say i actually probably learned it the same way danielle did through like just pop culture and yeah all that. but i do think i want to say that there's this one buckethead song that left claypool sings on where he pronounces it diesel bub oh really but i'm probably i could also be crazy yeah <laughs> i've always heard it be azelba but i don't you know so who pronunciation knows? corners back yeah on the there, you Club. there you go <laughs> but will he take us they decide he might but they don't want to go up there empty-handed they want to bring him the head and hands of hellboy the monster that would deliver them back to the chaos of the bottomless pit and so hellboy's right there we see them approaching it so i guess they've been sitting and talking this over before they went over there and did it don't do it, he says. Oh, man. <laughs> I mean it. You boys should just keep walking. You don't have to. And they're like, no. But I love that panel of Hellboy right yeah, there. Uh, so incredible. Yeah, so God. Very Clint Eastwood. Yes. Oh, yeah. I love it. Yeah. And the demons approach. No, we do. All right, Hellboy says. Here we go. And he punches one of the demons with the right hand of doom and the panel color changes. And God, it's so dynamic. It's so great. Here we go is perfect. I love that. Dave Stewart. Is it it rare to have like this sort of inner monologue narration going on from Hellboy? Yeah. He's like, here we go. And I was like, oh, they're just finishing that thought for him. But then then on the next page, it's like, no, he's like thinking. It's definitely different. Well, how long uh, between publication did these, uh, this issue and the last issue, how long was that? I don't remember. Oh, I mean, it wasn't 30 days. No, it was. It had been a while. <laughs> Probably just like kind of like recapping without being like bullshit exposition. I was, yeah. yeah, I was about to say it's a yeah. good way to get a no, lot yeah, of exposition totally. out of the way without ha- having to spend a bunch of pages doing that. It's a very succinct. Yeah, it's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. I just can't remember him doing it before. Oh, me neither. Now that you mention it, yeah, I didn't. I hadn't even realized that. I think with so much on the line with this issue, and 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 really having to keep to a pace that he wanted to keep to, he he's trying to keep to a timeline. And because I had read that, I, I I don't always read the um, extra stuff, but with this, I you know I wanted to read it with the big art pages and everything. So I had the book, as the library edition, to, the library edition as opposed to the digitals, and. Um, you know, I read the letter at the end that we'll get to, but he was saying, oh, I had a really specific way I wanted to do this, and I scrapped a whole bunch of stuff and did this instead and all this, whatever. So it just seems like he was really trying to fit a very specific yeah. kind of a um, You're right. a beat there. And so I guess like that's that was the best way that he could do it, or I don't know. Yeah. Well, and see, in typical Manila fashion, he puts the second caption box between the first and third panel. Mm. Yeah. Isn't that neat? Like he's 
it's cool. It's like, wait a minute, how am I supposed to follow this? Like, yeah. It doesn't matter, right? <laughs> well, it puts you into the awesome. action, whereas anyone else does this in any other book, and it's confusing, and it takes you out of it, and you're like, what am I supposed to be doing? But here, it, it definitely works. Yeah. And like, yeah. that's, cool. that is, yeah. The way it guides your eye. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, so he explains that he's dead, and then a guy explained to him that he was trading just one world for the other, and this was a chance to start over, and then the footnote there says Sir Edward Grey. And the art, I'm just drooling over this page, right? The action and the colors are just incredible. It's really um, worth looking at in the oversized format if you have that. Oh yeah, it's it's gorgeous. (laughs) That is a must-own like, yeah. are you talking about the artist edition um, or library edition? The library edition, yeah. I think anyone who's a fan of this book and has bought single issues, trade paperback, and library edition needs to go ahead and get the IDW artist edition. Oh yeah. Well, th- is this? I'm is not a- sure it covers this part of the story, but no. And it's interesting that you mentioned that. So the artist edition only has the first five issues, I think. And then yeah. the Amazing Screw-On-Head Artist Edition has the Exorcist of Vorsk in it. But, um, oh, so, that's cool. Yeah. So when we were in Paris, we went to this awesome comic book store. And there they had a black and white hardcover oversized version of Hellboy in Hell. They only had what? yeah, and they only had the second ver the second one, which is the death card trade, and so I had to buy that. All the issues that are collected in the death card are in there, and it's just the black and whites, but it's in French. Oh wow! Yeah, it's oh, incredible. Okay. Yeah, and Ooh. I was I was talking to Ryan Yule, and he said that he ordered that as well. He ordered it from overseas just because it's not covered in the artist edition, and he wanted to have those black and whites of every single page. It's not exactly the artist edition because it's just without color it's not the actual pencils but it's still amazing so i can post some pictures of that this week as well i want to see that next time i come over yeah Yeah. next year next year sometime (laughs) virus notwithstanding yeah but right now this feels way too much like the life i left behind you know hellboy he kind of starts off really good he's kind of got the upper hand but then these demons start slicing and dicing him and stabbing him and one of the demons gives Hellboy a left hand of boom, throwing him against the tree. I don't know if we've ever seen someone boom Hellboy, right? right? Unless it was like a big giant monster. Maybe, yeah. Maybe like, I'm thinking of that giant worm from right. the island. I think maybe that thing boomed on him. And then the color fades too. While Hellboy's fighting, it's all dynamic and colorful. And then when he gets boomed, it's like all the color got yeah. sucked out of the page. That is so fucking oh, yeah. cool. Boom, boom, they stab through Hellboy and into the tree. And in the middle of this, we get this mood shot of this bell. You know, the next issue is called For Whom the Bell Tolls. I love that kind of, it starts introducing things here. Or maybe maybe it means something else. Because we also see this woman in the background. Finish it, one of the demons says to the other. What are you waiting for, Hellboy asks, as he's pinned and bleeding against the tree. That's another great panel as well. This is what they were afraid of, one of the demons asks. He doesn't appear to be anything, and yet he ruined everything. Nice place before I got here, Hellboy asks. (laughs) Really? Guess all the books got it wrong. That was good. One of the demons swings his sword back for the killing blow, and then he's suddenly disintegrated. Dave Stewart is doing so much of the work here on this panel. I really love that. Really cool effect. I really like the design of Mignola's swords. Like, especially this one the dude's holding it. Oh, yeah. 
you know, his swords don't look like your traditional swords. So I love all these weird, wacky, yeah. not wacky, interesting designs of swords that he does. Yeah, that's right. such a good they're point. They're kind of wacky. No, they're, it's good, though. It's a good It's a good kind. You know what, Aubrey? I might have to go back and look at all the different swords and make a post of that. Oh, that's yeah, such a great note. Swords. I'm glad that's you brought good. that up. Yeah. yeah. As his blade falls to the ground, the other two take off. The woman says for them to run along unless they want more of the same. And you, she says to Hellboy, would you have actually let them cut off your head? Hellboy says he's dead already and was curious to see what would happen. <laughs> That's good. Check out how when she tells them to run off, they sprout wings. Yeah. Oh, right. Oh. What a great detail. Yeah. That's awesome. Hellboy asks if he knows the woman. You've forgotten me, she asks. You cannot have forgotten this. And she produces this ring with these green jewels. I oh, crap, the, Hellboy responds. I love the panel with her <laughs> hand where the ring is materializing in yeah. the flame there. And the detail shot of the ring yeah. is so good. Ugh, well, so and, good. And, and I love this. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up because it's kind of reminding us. And when she says, you could not have forgotten this. And it's like, I had forgotten it. And then, right. when, then when they show this, I'm like, oh, shit, I know what this is, right? Because you have the reaction that hellboy has which is such a yeah <laughs> awesome you know way to draw the reader into that but i just love the everything's so expressive and you know it's how many years of 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 honing his craft is this now at this point 20 years yeah. i mean and and it's it's he makes it look so easy i know that it's not i know that he works you know very hard on this it's blood sweat and tears a lot of toiling but ah such a great artist to to make it look so simple and yet you know it's so complex and and it's really uh, art good to look at yeah. is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah, and so did you guys even did you remember this, Aubrey? Fuck no, oh, no, I did. No, I yeah, did. Totally. I did not remember it until he until Hellboy says, "Oh crap!" and I'm like, "Oh right, that was uh, our Hellboy in Mexico episode." Right? Yeah. What about you? Did you remember this? No. What when she came up, I was like, "This is gonna be somebody." And then the next page oh, is, okay, oh, yeah. the panel with the guy, oh, yeah, he got married, oh, the ring, yeah, okay. So that's, I definitely did need that page, but it's it was masterfully done. Yeah. I love how he's able to, it doesn't feel like there's any exposition crammed into this page, it just feels like a natural unfolding of yeah. your memory. Yeah. He's helping us do that. It's, it's um, and it's, of course, beautifully crafted pages, but, yes. but yeah, I, I, I didn't feel taken out of the story. At all, it still felt natural. It still, it felt like Hellboy is remembering this. He's right. like, "Oh shit, I gotta deal with this now." <laughs> what about you, Matt? Yeah, I mean, the title clued me in, but I think that oh, okay, I think that you're running out of characters here, right? Like, oh yeah, your process of elimination, maybe. Yeah, and but so it, it was cool because I almost, almost didn't think of the original story where he got married as canon. I know it was, but I always was kind of thought of it as like. A side note yeah canon, right I, and then this was like oh well it's in there now yeah so. no that's exactly how i felt i kind of thought it was just kind of a short little side story um that was in our like i said it was in our hellboy in mexico episode hellboy went off with a mexican wrestler and he found this woman with these conquistador looking dudes and they ended up getting married it seemed like a regular wedding at the time, and then when he sobered up, he remembered that it was actually a demonic wedding. And so here we get that fantastic Mignola version, recreating the work by Mick McCannon from that story. I think it's cool that he that he brought that back and didn't let it 
become yeah, just like a just like a thing. You yeah. know, I, I like that he yeah. was like, No, this has consequences down in the underworld. This has this has a, a lasting consequence and this connection is still you know, but he, he he did something really cool with that. Yeah. So that's I like that. It's amazing. Yeah, I was not uh anticipating that at all. But like the way his ideas end up into the stories eventually, it it's almost like Maybe he didn't plan on bringing her up until now. Right. And then saw an opportunity to do it earlier as a short story. and was like, oh, let's m- make it Hellboy's marriage. Right. You know, right. And, because none of this stuff is done as linear as it feels. No. And, and I think there is a note about that when we get to the afterward yeah. that Danielle mentioned. When they got married, the priest said, in this life and after, bound to you for all time. In my defense, I was drinking a lot in those days, Hellboy says. You don't remember our wedding night, she asks. I remember in the morning you tried to kill me, he says. And then we get another great flashback to that as well. And again, Mignola's redrawing Mick McHannon's work from Hellboy Gets Married. I've never seen anyone uh, draw Tool quite this well. I know that that's kind oh, of insignificant. Okay. No, I like that. I like that detail. Yeah, it gives her like a, she's got like a really weird neck and her limbs look longer than they should look. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. That's super good. In these recreations here, we get Mignola. He recreates the right hand of doom boom 30 that Mick McCannon did. So I was wondering, does this one count or not? Because this is technically a flashback flashback. to another one. But anyway. Uh, Flashback. Yeah. I like the chunky claw hands that he draws. It's oh, just, yeah, yeah. It's very satisfying. I, don't, I can't explain why, but aesthetically, it's very satisfying. And she says, to be fair, you were none too pleasant yourself in the morning. And then we see a flashback where he's like, screw that. I want a divorce. And he shoots her. Probably not my finest moment, he says. But when a lady turns out not to be a lady, and then her pals turn out to be skeletons, well, there's going to be trouble. The truth is, I think I wanted you to destroy me, she says. Or rather, I wanted you to destroy the thing I had become. And so we get a flashback of him stabbing her through. And when she's dying, she says, my king, my husband, in this life and after. So that that had real consequences. Oh, yeah. Which is so interesting that he went all the way back and drew on that for the story. Yeah. My story is long and complicated, she says. Suffice to say that I was born in Spain, but served in hell. I wandered the earth a long time, but knew I was bound for the burning sea. Pandemonium. And so she arrives in hell as a snake. A snake, yeah. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And so uh, she's also gradually, as she's talking to Hellboy here and now, her her visage, her form is is changing... You beyond know. just the flashback so yeah. they show her in the flashback as a snake but in the present her dress is kind of going away as we see over the panels yeah. that the collar is not there anymore and her you know she's she horns she's got horns and she's kind of got she's growing little goat's feet and everything and so she's got a lot of different forms yeah. she's got this lady form she's got the vampiric form she's got this kind of weird wow like yeah greek mythical animal form <laughs> and then she's got the snake form too so like we're right. not really sure who or what she really is yeah here at this point like uh Manuel's note in the sketchbook of why he's like i got tired of drawing that dress so yeah <laughs> <laughs> and like for us like i'm going on this like, like wow this is significant and he's like i got tired of drawing that right. like, draw something else something interesting instead 
But well, no, it actually, great. it still is significant. I mean, it's no, like, it works, but it's just so funny that the impetus behind that is yeah, like you're saying Aubrey is, is this like, ah, well, I don't draw that anymore. But in that moment, any other artist or writer might have said, oh, maybe she gets naked. Oh, that'll be hot. Whereas mm-hmm. he's like, no, maybe she starts to have goat she's, feet. She's a goat lady. <laughs> horns and shit. She's a snake awesome. now. She's a snake goat lady. <laughs> she says when she arrived in hell, all they talked about was Hellboy. They were afraid of him. And when their slaves saw that... There's shacks over here. They overthrew them. Oh, yeah, we do see shacks there. Yeah, and we see that purple snake. That's her, right? She I re- think so. Yeah. She remained behind, knowing Hellboy would come. And I suppose I knew why even before you did. And we're back at Hellboy the Descent, right? So we get this flashback from the beginning of Hellboy in Hell. What a twist, right? So, so I was showing Danielle, yeah, if you, if say, you, you go back to the Descent issue two and you look at that scene, that snake is there, but it's not colored. It's just gray. It's phasing the back. So he pulled this out and he showed me the page. And I was like, what? Yeah. And then yeah, so it was it was yeah. there the whole time. But it was one of those things like, did you notice the snake the first time when you read The Descent, Matt? Yes. Yeah. Well, and I mean, maybe not the first time, but keeping in mind, I read it like three or four times in a row <laughs> and then that night and then the next day and then every day after that. So right. at some point early on, I noticed it, but it could just be creepy snake in that Satan's pet snake. Right. Right. And, and, and I, just a, it's like set dressing until that's it's what I thought significant. It was. That's what I thought it was. I yeah. thought it was just like, here's a snake. I mean, of course, there's going to be snakes coming around, you know, or whatever right. we see, yeah. like. We see flies and weird cormorants and all these things, you know, random animals around. So I just took it as that. And then when I saw this and I got to this issue, that kind of blew my mind a little bit. I was like, That's, I had to go back to the previous one. And was that really there? And I was like, oh, my God, it was. It was there. See, it makes you reread everything in yeah. a new light. It's so cool. Deep down, some part of you knew because it was you who took that knife and you who started down those stairs. But would you have done it? Could you have done it? I don't think so. You were there, but you needed a push. And that was me whispering in your ear. And so we see the snake following Hellboy down to Satan. And then she's like, do it now. And then Satan says, who's there? And then we actually see him get slashed across the neck. So we hadn't really seen this before. I think it's interesting how Hellboy holds the knife backwards. And he slashes like that. You know what I mean? That's really interesting. So we see Satan. He says murder, right? As his neck is opening up. And then we see the knife fall down, but it says bong. I thought that was so interesting because we normally see it say clang. Yeah, Yeah, but we normally see clang. But here we know it's and it's, you know, the next issue again is called For Whom the Bell Tolls. And so there's that bong. Very telling. Yeah. But how clever. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Only in a comic book. Right. I mean, you could change the sound effect on TV or in a movie, but to see the sound effect. It's a whole new level of storytelling. Yeah. And it's and like we've seen it so many times and then we see it this time and it's different. Like we're going to notice that, you know, and so um, they've been setting that up. It's interesting that you say that because in all the previous times that I've seen and we've seen this happen a lot. We've seen the knife fall and in my head. I made it like a clacky clangy sort like a, you know, what it was. But here I heard a big giant bell. Right. And that's so. That's amazing. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah. That they're like able overpowering the original sound effect. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's amazing that they're able to do that with just this simple it's just you know, it's so simple oh, but it's so, so effective. So maybe the knife 
is the flashback, but the bong is present day. It's happening oh. now. Yes. Yeah, we saw the bell earlier. Amazing. That's cool. Yeah. Really nice. Who would have thought the old man to have so much blood in him, she says. And so that was that quote that Hellboy was thinking when that happened. And that's a quote from Macbeth, Act 5, Scene 1. Lady Macbeth bemoans the murders of Lady Macduff and Banquo. She seems to see blood on her hands and she claims it will never wash off. Hellboy asks if she thinks they're going to be king and queen of hell. She says the thought occurred to her, but he did swear an oath to be bound to her forever. But no. It's too late. And I love the mood on this page. We see more of her form here as well. But they cut to that praying skeleton or whatever, angel. And then so here we see the ash falling. And Matt kind of mentioned that earlier. I like a little dog feet. Yeah. The world that was, it's nearly all gone now. You see this? And so she points to the ash in the air. Hell's fire has gone out. Pandemonium has fallen, collapsed into the sea, and all her treasures drowned. Your unclaimed crown, your father's broken sword, his ring. We see those again from the descent. Great imagery here. I love all this. Yeah. And then so we see a close-up of the House of the Fly ring. There's little chips. It's so subtle in from wearing the ring. Oh, right. When you accidentally hit it against a counter or a chair. Sure. Or something like that. Like it's been, It's worn down. Yeah. It's all it's just so fucking subtle, but it's so good. Well, no, not his ring. I thought I'd keep it, if you don't mind. A memento. What might have been. And so we, she has it on her hand there. I really love that panel. Mm-hmm. I never wanted any of that stuff, Hellboy says. I think you at least should have this. A reminder of simpler times. And so she gives him their wedding band with those green jewels on it. This little snake's eyes. Yeah. I like that she wishes she keeps the fly ring. She's like, I ain't, I ain't gonna keep this. <laughs> this yeah, those like are a hot commodity down there. Everybody wants those. Yeah, we're, really, we saw Vivara get hers, right? Now yeah. I'm going far away, and when I get there, I'm gonna hide myself as best I can, and you're gonna finish what you started. You know what you have to do, and I'm afraid you're gonna have to do this part alone. It's one of the reasons you were born. It's one of the reasons you died, and it's the reason you are here now. You want to start over? You want a new life? First, you have to finish the old one. Bong. We see the church bell in the distance. Yeah, and so this page is incredible, right? We get a flashback to baby Hellboy when he first appeared on Earth. And I just love all this with the, you know, it looks like snow or something. We know it's the ash. But it kind of reminded me of BPRD, Come at the Hour. There was a scene where... Kate was outside, and it looked like she was in the snow, but it was the ash, yeah. too. So it makes me think, like, oh, I wonder if these two things are happening at the same time. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, there's the ash from everything that's going on in Colorado in the air, and then there's the ash from this uh-huh. that's happening in Pandemonium. I just like that it looks like snow because of the old expression, when hell freezes over. And maybe this <laughs> oh. is as close as you're going to get to that. Yeah, I love that, man. Oh. Like, because the inferno is out, it's not freezing over, but I guess there's potential to it eventually get cold down there. But for now, this is sort of like, you know, symbolic. It's good. And I like that it's, um, I like the pacing here that we get these two entire pages to just breathe yeah. and sit with it. And it just really, it yeah. it takes its time and it's just this very long pause, these mood shots. Um, You know, obviously Mike Mignola, very good at drawing these all these like houses and everything and the 
the bells and all that. It's just um, I really appreciated how how long this moment stretched out for me while I was reading it. It was really fantastic. And see that view of pandemonium is just smoldering across the yeah. water there. Yeah. That is a very similar view to. Okay, so Aubrey, remember two episodes back, you were like wondering how could Hellboy cross paths with Vivara and Yosef down there? Right, right. And they have almost this exact same view, but oh. it's not small. It's not smoldering. They're like kind of on the seawall like that, and okay. they're they're back a little further. But then you remember that they go down some steps like that too. To get on the boat and go over there. Wow, it's kind of it's a similar view, but it's funny that now it's like truly the like the fire's out. Yeah, wow. Not all of the fire is out in hell. Right? I mean, look at the very last panel. As we pan over all of hell, all of the town, and then the last bong, and then we see the tree where Hellboy was pinned up against, but he's not there. Just his blood remains, and it's all on fire. So what what did you think that meant? Like, cause, cause you didn't have the luxury of going on to the next issue. Right. The first right. time you read it. Right. How did you feel about that? I, I didn't really know what to think. I mean, it just kind of, to me, it was a cliffhanger. It was just like, what does this mean? You know, I, I guess I didn't really think about it more than beyond that. Like, I guess we'll see what's going to happen next issue. Something, I mean, you know, obviously Hellboy was on fire. I mean, she said you have to finish this life first. Well, and the swords are still in place in the tree so right. like he didn't take the swords out and put them right back in the same spot he's just not yeah, there anymore yeah because when he yeah. got stabbed and the bride showed up she was like what were you gonna do there and i was like yeah well how was he gonna get out of that i guess the writers could have written that any million different ways right <laughs> yeah um he ripped his arm off to get out of it i don't he, he rips the tree out of the ground to get out of it no, he bursts into flames, apparently, right. is what I thought. Because yeah. oh. I'm thinking the whole time, how's he going to get out? Is well, he going to pull the swords are out? They, are they magic flames, in your opinion? Well, but I mean, I, is he the flame? Is he or the did flame? He, okay. Or did he turn into flames by using some sort of new power? It was, to me, the, my, my whole thing here was like, how's he get off that tree? Right. Throughout the whole issue. And I was like, nobody's taking the swords out. How's he going to yeah. get out? And that, the number of pages are dwindling here. So I know yeah. we're getting to the end of this issue. <laughs> and then and then it's just all fire. And I was like, well, that's fucking interesting. Because what we just learned was he went down there and killed Satan. And then all the commanders were taken out. And all the captains had to abandon their names, right? Mm -hmm. And and Beelzebub's like holed up in his tower. But other than that, pretty much done. And now Pandemonium's fire has gone out. And there's just ash everywhere. And so he killed the devil. He killed all the devil's commanders. And then he, he put out hell. So he's taken the power of hell into himself. Mm. The fire. He has the fire now. That's how I oh, ended the issue. Okay. okay. I was like, wow. So hell boy is literal. Ah, hell. he's become that's hell. That's how I took that. Yeah. Wow, I love that. I don't I don't think that's exactly accurate if we as, as we may see, but that's where I was left. And you know, to be honest, Matt, like I just really didn't think about it that much. I was just like I knew that the next issue was going to be the last issue and I was just like, "Oh, well this is meant for us to be like what just happened." You know, they've done that a couple times. Yeah. You know, where they if just There's no fire. Yeah. And then all of a sudden there's fire. That's and how, how did gotta, he get yeah. off that tree. Yeah. Right. 
I just kind of chalked it up to like it's some kind of a mysterious yeah. vril it's a Hellboy magic power time. So I just kind of chalked it up to like, I also kind of feel like things are getting more and more. We don't have to explain this. It's yeah, just a very, yeah. it's just a very intuitive. This is where it, I, and I've said this so many times before, but you know, there are people who will say that illustration can't be fine art. Um, I say, no, look at this. Uh, because this is oh yeah they're wrong about this that. is such that an is and this is something John uh, has said so many times and um you said to me many times that you think that this kind of becomes very Twin Peaks ish oh yeah yeah so you I'm a big fan of David yeah. Lynch and all that stuff and a lot of it is like open to interpretation or you don't really know and I I as I was reading Hellboy and Hell I really felt like it was lending a little bit more to that kind of whatever you think happened you know what I mean or I don't know you know where it is just art and you're just supposed to interpret it you know there's not a real answer yeah you know and it becomes less about what happened how did he do this and more about how it impacted you you know, so and, exactly. and your reaction to it, it becomes more important than it's not a plot point anymore. This slowly right. is unraveling into, you know, how does this affect you emotionally? And and what is this what impact does it have on your life? Like that's how that's how big it's getting. So then I also thought there's because there's a little bit more of a literal connection to be made i think when they show beelzebub's tower it's on fire mm. right but it's not on fire but it's you know there's flames and right. i think that's to show that he's still in power he's got a crown of flames over his head right and so then i was like oh this is going to be the old showdown between beelzebub and hellboy because uh-huh. they're the only ones with power left down there because f- fire represents power in hell and he's doing that with color but, too it's the color as well yeah. anytime you see that that's kind of what you're saying. You know you know what, Matt? I'm looking at these pages right here in the digital version, and you can switch back and forth really quick. And when they show that panel of baby Hellboy, look at the flame, mm-hmm. and then look at it on that last page. And it's like almost exactly the same. Yeah, like I the wonder, shape of it. Yeah, that's interesting. Because they show Hellboy pinned to the tree, and they show baby Hellboy on fire. And then when they show the fire again, it's kind of like that. Almost kind of like a rebirth. Yeah. Yeah, like and death the red and birth in the, the middle same. of it. Yeah. The red in the middle of it is young Hellboy, and then the red in the middle of it is blood. Yeah, yeah. And the tree is the same color as all the rocks. So yeah, it's like that's, that's cool. Again, it's I like just noticed that right now. His journey. Yeah. It's a yeah, very purposeful yeah. parallel there. That's beautiful. But it's um these ideas of like death and rebirth. I like that it's made with these grand sweeping gestures. Yeah. As opposed to, well, we're gonna try and exactly explain how we feel about. It. It's more about like. You can't explain feelings like that. You can't explain your interpretation and your personal relationship with these very, like, the biggest possible concepts. So let's make some awesome fucking art about it and let you feel those feelings. Sure. That's so fucking awesome. Yeah, so then then that happens, right? And then time goes by between issues. That's cool. So then you get to for whom the bell tolls and what's the very first line? No, no man, man is an, is an island. island. And you automatically are like, the island. The island. Should I go back and read that real quick yeah. first? <laughs> that really was such a linchpin pivotal. So that's, it was the big one. Yeah. that's. I mean, I made a major connection oh, with yeah. that book, so it, it makes sense. Yeah. yeah. 
We're going to go on to issue 10, Hellboy and Hell for Whom the Bell Tolls. This is the final chapter of Hellboy and Hell. It was published in June 2016. Story and art by Mignola, colors by Dave Stewart, and letters by Clem Robbins. Big shout out to longtime editor Scott Alley. Yeah, so here we are. We're at the last issue of Jeez. Hellboy. It's crazy. Been, so weird. Yeah, and <laughs> just like Matt said, we open with a quote from devotions upon emergent occasions and several steps in my sickness this is a prose work by english metaphysical poet and cleric in the church of england john dunn published in 1624 it covers death rebirth and the elizabethan concept of sickness as a visit from god reflecting internal sinfulness the devotions were written in december 1623 as don recovered from a serious but unknown illness believed to be relapsing fever or typhus. Having come close to death, he described the illness he has suffered and his thoughts throughout the recovery with near superhuman speed and concentration. No man is an island. Each man's death diminishes me, for I am involved in mankind. Therefore, send not to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. We see this skeleton sitting and looking out the window, and he's saying that quote. A skeleton, yeah. So I like that uh, little detail, too. And so we see this devil, this devil dragon guy from the Three Gold Whips, and he crashes down on his grandmother's house. So when we saw it in the first time, you thought it was kind of funny how he smashes down, and this time he really... kind of a, yeah. This time he really kind of smashes down, like breaking everything. They take a whole page to kind of show him tumbling down. That was was a very serious tumble. Yeah. Well, every other time I read it, it's hilarious. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Because I I read this last week or something, and I was like, oh, man, that is classic funny. Then I read it yesterday, and I was like, that is not funny. No, no, yeah. (laughs) He calls for her. I'm here, she says. I can't see you, the devil says. I'm blind. He asks if she remembers when they hung out last time. They drank together, and he said he would bring her a lamp for her light. He also told her what was going on in the world, and she said interesting times, and they clinked glasses. Oh, grandmother, it is so much worse now, the devil says. He has snuffed out the light of the world. Pandemonium has fallen. Satan is dead. And now, also all his princes. I was there, he says. I told you before how the princes fled their city with their armies and how those armies turned on them and tore them to pieces. Well, some few survived, hidden away in Beelzebub's castle, out near the edge of the world. I and a few others, we offered ourselves there to be slaves. And so here we see that tower that we saw in the last issue there in the background. But I love in the background, you can see the abyss, like all the jellyfish stuff. Because he says out near the edge of the world. And so we learned when uh, we met Jinx and Dean, they were talking about their map. And they said that the abyss is on the very outside. It's kind of infringing on that reality. Yeah, I love that. Uh, Thank you for these gothic windows. (laughs) Thank you for that. Like They had the same idea that it's like everyone had the same idea to go to that one guy and be like, hey, man, we'll work for you. Right. Yeah. Like, I hope my house is a sanctuary at the end of all things. <laughs> people are like, let's just go hang out with Matt, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you still got a stash. <laughs> nice. That's where we're going. We're, we're, we're driving going. over there, Matt. <laughs> the grandmother is upset about him being a slave. You didn't see it, he says. There, at least, we were safe. And yeah, this panel of the tower is so awesome. Super good. We cut to the tower. There, Beelzebub tells the others that they are the last candle of hell. They have to call down to the pit to their brother, 
Long lost, but never forgotten. What? One of the demons asks. And then we cut to Jenks and Dean. Remember these jolly chaps? We saw them way back in Witchfinder in the service of angels. They're here to translate for Beelzebub. Yeah. And they ended up in hell somehow. They were trying to develop a map of hell when we last saw them in the Three Gold Whips. I think you will agree with me, Mr. Jinx, that the brother in question is the creature the ancient Greeks referred to as Pluto, Lord of the Underworld. Spot on, Mr. Dean. According to (laughs) Amelia Dunn's unpublished True Secret History of the World, Pluto was originally one of the Watcher Angels, cast off the face of the Earth for creating the Ogre Jihad. We see Amelia Dunn there giving that information. The first fall of the angels. Some of the Watchers, Satan among them, were allowed to remain on Earth a while. But when they refused to bow to the newly created race of man, they too were cast into the pit. The second fall of the angels. And here we get this incredible panel by Mignola. And I noticed, like, you know, he put his initial there with the year. I thought that's kind of interesting. And so I had to, of course, look into that image. And so this is a reference to one of Gustav Dory's engravings from the 19th century edition of Milton Paradise Lost that shows Satan with Adam and Eve in the background. But this is focused on the Satan part. And it says, oh. and it says oh. Abandon Hope. And so that's not in the Gustav Dory engraving. But Abandon Hope is a reference to Abandon Hope, All Ye Who Enter Here from Dante's Divine Comedy, which was heavily referenced in the final story arcs of BPRD, Hell on Earth. No happy reunion, Dean says. I'm afraid Satan's gang and Pluto's gang went at each other tooth and claw for a thousand years. And in the end, Satan's gang came out on top. It's true, Jenks says. I love that. I love when skeletons are saying it's true. It's true. (laughs) We beat them, chained them, raised pandemonium on their broken shoulders. Only he was allowed to escape. Our brother, Beezlebub says, and he is our brother, and we have never forgotten him. When we swear, we use his name. When we pray for strength, we pray to him. Who then should we look to in this, our darkest hour? Let him bring his cold fire to relight our burning hell. And I guess that's Pluto that we see there, and he's got that holy spirit yeah, fire or whatever, the holy flame. That's like some Agdru Jihad shit right yeah, there. Yeah, for real. Yeah. When are we going to get that guy's story, right? I think that's what somebody said in one of the listener feedback yeah. comments. Mm-hmm. Will they really do it? One of the demons asked, do you think? Would they? I don't know, the devil says, back talking to his grandmother. Would it have made any difference? I don't think so. All that talking, really, I'd lost interest. I'd gone to sit at a window, so I was the only one to see it coming. I love that he's sitting by the window. Yeah. And it made yeah. me made me think of that skeleton that we saw in the beginning of the issue that was staring out the window saying that line from John Donne. Oh, right, yeah. A giant striding across the mountains wrapped in flames. Incredible. Yeah, so, man. It, the it, flames, right? From yeah. the tree. He literally burst into flames in a good way and was able to just move away from that tree and those swords. And I'm a giant now. Yeah, and I I love this framing device because I think this is so interesting that it's not, we're not there when this happens. We're seeing it, we're... This is after the fact. Somebody else is telling this story. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's it's as if, okay, so I reviewed this comic against my will. I didn't want to review it. And then our big rule about reviewing comics for this one site was no spoilers. And the editor was like, you ruined the whole thing for me. And I was like, no, I didn't. But like, he said that because I made reference to what you just explained. And it's 
I said, we already knew it was the end. We know this is the last issue. And I said, at the end of this, the events are too big, even for the reader. I can't remember the exact words, but we're watching this from afar. Mm. It's as if we're in a roped off area. Right. And normally, How like, does that ruin anything? In, I don't understand this. We're watching the action from afar. Now, if you think about the fight the Hellboy had right before he got nailed to that tree, basically, there there was a lot, you know, there were quips, mm-hmm. they were talking, you're right up in there, there's sound effects, and now it's too big. Yeah. And, yeah. and the magnitude of the situation is demonstrated by us being way, I do you you feel it? We're way off to the side. Yeah. As the reader, we are not mm-hmm. here while this is happening, and if we are, we're watching it through a telescope. Yeah. Like we we're not allowed to be here when this goes down. No. And yeah. I think that for sure for for a finale, that's the way to do it. Yeah, yeah. I it love does that. give you that sense. That's really brilliant. Thank you for that. <clears throat> And so we see Hellboy walking up and he's got the Beast of Apocalypse horns and the right hand of doom is just flaming and he's just all covered in flames. Entrance music blasting. Yeah, and he's enormous, right? Pyro's going off. Biggest pop of the season. Yeah. And then the little guy says, then I saw Leviathan rise out of the sea. Oh, shit. Leviathan, we saw Leviathan take out Astaroth in one of the earlier Hellboy and Hell issues. And Leviathan is mentioned in the Bible. In that day, the Lord with his sore and great and strong sword shall punish Leviathan, the piercing serpent, and he shall slay the dragon that is in the sea. From Isaiah 27.1. There's also an engraving of Leviathan by Gustav Dory. And so we get these amazing action panels of Hellboy beating Leviathan down. And here it's just mostly artwork. I mean... Mignola's just going at it, you know what I mean, with these pages. Yeah, man. And it's yeah, there's like... no boom. There's no quips. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's just the beautiful artwork telling the story. This is the depiction you would get from the history books, not from when it's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Hellboy's coming in from the mountains. You've got Leviathan coming out of the sea, and then from somewhere in the dark, Yeah, Behemoth, excuse me? That's <laughs> yeah. one of the scariest things I've ever seen. Sorry, but that like, I was just like, ugh. Yeah. Like it is, it's just, ugh. Like Behemoth has been waiting for this. Yeah. He has been sitting there the posture in the dark is, until yeah. <laughs> something this consequential came along. But in the dark makes it seem like it's a place like the sea or the mountains yeah. here oh, right. yeah. in this. Yeah. And not just like, it's dark where he's at. No, he's in the dark. Yeah. And yeah. that's like, ugh. Proper For dark. me, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Proper dark. Job forty fifteen to 24 describes Behemoth and then the sea monster Leviathan to demonstrate to Job the futility of questioning God, who alone has created these beings and who alone can capture them. Behemoth's suggested identities range from a mythological creature to an elephant, hippopotamus, rhinoceros, or buffalo. And here I think they went with the mythological creature. Yeah, right? no, it's super good. <laughs> Some amazing work by Mignola. I mean, what can you say? It's breathtaking as Hellboy's like taking on both of these things, Leviathan and Behemoth. I mean, it's just stunning to look at. I mean, it's just hard to look away. It's so yeah. beautiful. The the Mignola artwork combined with Dave Stewart's color, it's just like and it's like it's like you say, Danielle, like every time, like every single page, every panel could be hanging up in a museum. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's that beautiful. Every separate so, thing, but together they tell the story so wonderfully well. 
Yeah. Look at that bottom panel where Hellboy's like all flame. Yeah. Right? Yeah, dog. He's pulling a Liz. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, okay. That's oh, his yeah. fire. That's his Bohemus doesn't have fire. No, yeah. Right. That's all his fire. And then on the next page, zap. Right? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he went supernova like Liz. Yeah, that's so awesome. And that glowing one eye, you know what I mean? Is so it's, it's so good, cool. Yeah. It makes such a great element in this. And so yeah, yeah sure, like I mean we we saw Abe grimacing. Yeah. In yeah. in his final issue, right? And I think that these guys know the reader is cued in when when you zoom in on somebody's face and their eye gets big and you can kind of see their teeth but it's like a thin grimace yeah like uh oh right like that's bad (laughs) and then the very next thing it's all flame you can't see anything else right yeah and and it would appear the hellboy is outgrowing his Just like Matt said, there's this huge explosion. We see it take down Leviathan and Behemoth. Boom, Behemoth crashes down and we see him like break like a statue. Wow. And all the demons look up. I think that's Beelzebub in the background. And we see Hellboy and he's just all black with a red eye. I don't know if this is anything, but the one eye just reminds me of like Odin. Right, yeah. So oh, totally. This, they yeah. call him that. They call him that in... Um, the witches. It? Yeah, in right. Darkness Calls. Right. Fury. Yeah, they call him that. And then, like, this is, you know, kind of Ragnarok-esque. And yeah. we've got the serpent. Kind of reminds me of um, Jormungandr. Okay. Jorm- I, I know the one you're talking about. Yeah, sorry. Jormungandr. I wish I knew how to pronounce this. Maybe I should have looked that up and listened to a pronunciation of that. But you know what I'm talking about. I'm sorry. Yeah. But, like, it's, you know, that's kind of a Ouroboros infinity i'm gonna fight it and when it releases the tail ragnarok begins so that's something to me personally that reminds me of this i love that i don't know if that's anything so i'm sure we'll get some listener feedback on that yeah what did he do like take on all the remaining power of hell in the form of fire and now he's used it but he's left with this um his form has evolved Right. Like, I don't think this is any kind of projection. I think he in hell has become something. Could he have done this when he was infected in earlier issues? Remember, he was sick and went to the doctor. Mm. Could he have done this or did it have to? Was it like waiting for the right moment? Yeah, I, I feel like it was more the latter. Like everyone was waiting for the right moment for all this shit to go down. And then he used up all that power, but he's still in this form. Yeah, well, right. we we forgot to mention he's got also these awesome wings. Um, excuse me, what is this panel? It's so fucking awesome. Yeah. Then lightning. Like I haven't even gotten over the thing that just happened. Yeah. And then there's this thing here. Sorry, the movement, like the way he's raising it up and the way that the lightning is yeah. going around it. It's like you know that's just like uh, very concentrated fire. Like energy yeah, well, is very like it's very like it's like a step above fire when you're talking about comic book powers right or like cartoon powers people that can wield fire can normally in their ultimate form wield lightning so this we've been talking about vril and how it comes in all these forms and how if you you know what i mean like liz is is doing all this this absolute bonkers shit up top and so here we've got hellboy like sure me too you mentioned Odin earlier, right? Yeah. Well, the witch has also said, and is that Thor's hammer? Uh, is it Thor's hammer? Yeah. Uh, maybe it is Thor's hammer because he's fucking wielding lightning with it. So Yeah. 
And again, cheers to the reading order because lightning was going on when Abe uh-huh. got his gumption up. Yeah. Right? right. So maybe it was simultaneous. But I love the way they show Beelzebub look up and then Hellboy looks at them. Yeah. And see how his eyes red and the windows are red. I think he sees them and he's like, oh, I'm not done. Yeah. As long as I got the wings and the horns, let Let's, me pull down yeah. the lightning. He's like, I can do whatever I want now. Yeah. Right. And throws lightning at them. <laughs> just <laughs> as, just as like, oh, don't think I forgot about you guys. Right. right. Yeah. I love but that. That. that little pot, like you said, like he, he looks, he sees the wind. Ah, it's so brilliant. Yeah. The way that they pull the red from the window of the red to the eye. You're right. I, I, I love that. And then, so like, yeah, the oh, demon yeah. sees him and he's just like, well, fuck this shit. Yeah. Well, fuck all this up. Yeah. That's great. Thank you so much for pointing that out. That's that's amazing. And we already know the one guy got out of there. Who's sitting in the window somehow yeah. he got away. Oh right, yeah. The birds for scale. Or not the bird, the demons, I mean. The flying demon guys for scale. Cause we've seen him next to them and they're like, you know, the size of a large dog. Right. And or like a little kid or, or something. Or like a little kid. And yeah. he's like a, or like a monkey. He's a fucking gigantic mountain. Yeah. And these little tiny he's things like- that I think they're birds, but no, they're fucking these these mm. demon guys. Yeah. And that's just like, He's like Agdu Jihad size. He is. Yeah. Yeah. When, that's uh, scary. in the, in the sketchbook for the library edition, they have that panel in the back where Hellboy lifts up his right hand of doom to pull down the lightning and Mignola writes, Hellboy cuts loose. Ah, I love it. <laughs> yeah. Thor time. Yeah. And so, just like Danielle said, we see those little devils come out. Then, out of the sky behind the giant, all those former slaves. Recall back in the Wild Hunt, Hellboy promised that little demon that he would remember him when he came back into his kingdom. Yeah. And so he did make a promise to this little guy. And so I want to say that he, you know, he fulfilled that here. There was a scene before he gets there where he goes and he picks yeah. those little guys up or he's like, it's time or right. whatever. I love the way they show like that demon clutching his fist. Yes. When he's like got blood coming out of his mouth. No. And- he says, now we are free. I yeah. love the way he, because you could tell he's like shaking his fist. Right? Yeah. The fact that his eyes are all black is so interesting. Because like, I I don't know, I heard in my head like like a super weirdo gravelly voice. Like, I don't know, oh, what can I compare it to? Okay, you remember when Leia disguises herself as a bounty hunter and oh, goes okay. into Jabba's palace? This is the nerdiest oh, thing yeah. I've ever said. Yeah. But the voice modulator okay. that they put on her voice when she's talking to Han when she yeah, unfreezes yeah. him from the yeah, yeah. she's like you have whatever hibernation sickness you have hibernation sickness that voice is so creepy as a ch- as a child I was like oh that's creepy what the fuck is that about that's kind of the voice mm. I'm picture anyway that now, that's that's the voice that you cast for this little demon you guy. can cut all that out but that's you can cut all <laughs> no, this out I'll never cut I, it out but I uh, <laughs> I don't want anybody to know how fucking nerdy I am. You cut all this out. Too late. But I'm just saying, that's the voice. That's way too late. That's the Sorry. Voice. No. Yeah, and so these little demons, they come to have revenge on their masters. So nice. after Hellboy destroys that, he unleashes all the demons, and they just tear these guys apart. Yes. And when they'd finished, they all flew up and disappeared into the giant burning mouth. Why did they let me live? And so we see that little demon left there. You notice? So, like, when the demon uh, is, like, yelling and he says some demon words, and one of the words looks like a pluton, uh, oh. they said, like, when we, when we like, swear, you know, take his name, you know, 
it's like it's almost like they're saying god damn it or son of a bitch or yeah or something they're they're using that name yeah that's such a great detail thanks for pointing that out aubrey because they said they were going to call him next or whatever right, right. they're they're yeah. calling out to him for help or something. Yeah, yeah or something or maybe just using his name uh like that yeah because they're well because well, when he says like earlier he says like when we swear, we use his name. Yeah, yeah. So maybe that's a swear right there. Interesting. I love that. Great little detail. And then we see Hellboy walking away through all the mountains. And that is another spectacular image. I don't know, the demon says, but I watched him turn and walk away. And as he did, he took hold of his horns. A sound like thunder and a flash. Crack. And we just see those horns broken off Classic in the air. Classic Hellboy. Yeah. Awesome. I was breaking his giant demon horns off. But that's interesting that that's what blinded him. That's... Yeah, that's what blinded him. And then nothing, he says. Grandmother, what does it mean? I knew it was coming, but it has arrived so much sooner than expected. What does it mean? For us, it means the end. And now she's a skeleton, too. She's not even like the old woman version. You know, Matt talked about how people in hell have two different forms. Yeah. And so here, right. she's in the skeleton form. And then it looks like the little demon guy dies, right? He's yeah. dead there. Also, remember how she was offended when, I forget the guy's name, he said, God bless you. Yeah. yeah. And he was yeah. like, that's probably not the right thing to say, right? Because you're in hell. But it looks like she's praying at the end. Right. Yeah. Why would she fold her hands like that? That's they don't do that. Well, that's not a that's not do a they? I don't know. That's not a specific Christian thing. That's right. a, that's just a I don't general. Know, they showed like a statue of an angel doing it earlier. I don't know. Maybe not. No. Yeah, you're but right. Then it, but then it looks like she becomes. Yeah, an angel I was going to say it looks like she becomes the angel right. because there you can see the little demon guy. There's a little shape down there, a Mignola shape that I that looks like it's the little demon guy, right? Dead. Like, well, okay, so she lives in a cemetery. Yeah. Now, what if she all along was the angel of death? Sure. Just posing as, you know, an old lady or a grandmother. And I don't think an angel of death is specifically taking souls to hell. No. So, yeah, I don't know. It's not Grim Reaper, but is this a reveal that she had some much greater purpose wow. in her previous life? Maybe. Or that we actually saw because... We know she looks like, you know, sort of a demonic old lady, and then sure. she has a skull, and then she's this winged right. angel-looking thing. And I just think, you know, with all the different forms that people have, I think this was a reveal. Sure, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Because her grandson is still there. I don't know. I think I think it's like, aha, she's the angel of death. Yeah. Sure, oh, that's sure. cool. Like and that. then we just move on. A lot yeah. Of, yeah. Well, there's a lot here. A lot of cemetery angels have that pose. Maybe it's just supposed to make us think of that. Right. Like you're saying, like maybe it's supposed to, you know, conjure images of death have, and cemeteries. Um, and... I have a praying angel tattoo okay. on my left arm. And there's a whole bunch of different versions. This is a really common one that I liked for personal reason. Sure. It's not, there's nothing special about it. But um, a lot of times they call them somber angels oh, okay. like they're praying oh. right, right. because they're sad or whatever and so that that's what i thought of when yeah. i saw her do that and i was like well that's something the angels do sure 
And so maybe she was offended when the guy said, God bless you, because she's a fallen angel. (laughs) So then here, if she was the angel of death or something, then that might be the case. Super cool. She wasn't offended because he said, God bless you to somebody who lives in hell. But because she's like, that's my old boss. (laughs) I love that. The second falling of angels. I love that. I, I really like that theory that she's the angel of death. That's a good one, Matt. And so we see Hellboy there, and he's looking at them. So now he's back in his Hellboy form in the trench coat. So before we started this podcast, like a long time ago, I watched this video on YouTube. Uh, but I was watching it more for like coloring, and it was talking about color as a subtext. And it talked about this issue. Oh. Uh, a great so issue I, I to use. I, I did, but see, first off, I didn't know anything about, about it at the time. I just knew it was Hellboy, and I just knew the images were beautiful. But then they talked about how, like, when we see him in his giant form with the wings and the fire and all that, all that time we see him in that form, it's being told to us by this, this demon. We get the vibrant colors and all that, and then we see Hellboy, and he's back to being his normal self. It's like when we were getting the story of him as the giant it was really more he wasn't really a giant it was just that he was um described as a giant by the demon who's larger than life has a tail like you know like this you know an exaggerated tail mm. i haven't watched the video in a couple of years i'll have to look for it and i'll send it to you it, it, i don't know i just thought it was kind of interesting because it's like you know it's like the whole thing about like when you tell somebody a story how much is true and how much is embellishment Right. I, I didn't even think about that, but like the unreliable narrator, like we don't really know. Yeah. We're taking it on somebody else's point of view to tell us and he may not have seen it. That's really interesting. That's that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. It was the last thing he saw before he went blind. So maybe he's remembering it a lot bigger than it was. Yeah. Wow. I do like the idea that he's a giant. Yeah, yeah. Oh, me too. Me too. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, cool. I'm going to go ahead and take it literally. That is an interesting <laughs> idea. I love that. So then we get these shots of Hellboy just walking through hell. Gorgeous. And they really linger on this. They give us a couple of pages. We see him go through all the broken cemetery. It's beautiful. Then through those cobblestone, well, cobbled together towns. And then and then in this alleyway, there's a light with some rustling papers. And you're like, oh, let's go down that alley. Yeah. And see what that is. And you get to. It's like in a dream almost. This statue of the wizard and the snake in the shapes. Yeah. And that's where the light source and the papers are coming from. And then you see all the souls, the bird souls, all right, the birds yes. flying away. And then the the lighting is different. It's warmer. Mm-hmm. Like before it was like cold and gray and dead. And now it's like, is the fucking sun coming up in hell? What's happening? Right. And so like... Yeah, just, it's really amazing. And the next, yeah, and he's not just, not uh, supposed to go out there, right? He's not supposed to go to the shore, right? Yeah, isn't that? Didn't they say like that's where you like totally lose it? Right. Yeah. yeah, people go mad when they go out there or something. Yeah, you're right. I forgot about that. But is that just their perception? Like, that's oh, what they've they heard. Went, they went mad. Yeah, you don't want to do that. But it's like, well, this is where my journey is taking me. Right. So this is where I'm going. Like, it's yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, man. I totally forgot fantastic. about that. And it, just like Danielle mentioned, the wizard and the snake statue that was also featured in the three gold whips. We see Hellboy go out on the harbor, and he sees those wailing souls. Didn't they talk about those earlier? They just wail or whatever. They just moan at the sea or something. Just kind of look at him. Yeah, I like how there's one in a in a cage or whatever, one of those cages there. And then he walks up to this house. It's being framed by this 
giant, like these big clouds, and it's just a very yeah. surreal. Yeah, and what color is that? Yeah, is it yellow, <laughs> is it white. It's yeah. amazing. And we go inside the black, and then we're inside the house. We're going up this staircase. It's like being in a dream. You're going to the places that you, it's so natural, and the way this unfolds is very like I feel like I'm doing it with my imagination. Right. But Mike Mignola and Dave Stewart worked very hard <laughs> to make it seem like that. Well, and we're only five pages away from the wings and the horns. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the so demon serene. flying into his burning mouth. Yeah. And five pages later is a short time span to be this removed. It yeah. It feels so stretched out. And they're though. selling it. Yeah. And we hear the words from Malcolm Frost, Lady Cynthia, and Professor Broom from Hellboy Seat of Destruction, Issue 1, which we read almost two years ago at the end of July 2018. Shoot it, kill it. It's a demon come from hell to destroy us all. No, like a little boy. Hellboy. And we see Hellboy, he goes into this room, and he sees the shapes. And the shapes glow. Hellboy glows. We get a flashback of Little Hellboy. We see the house from outside, and there's a light on in one of the windows. And then the big page that just says the end, the light is still on in that window, and above the cosmos Yeah. that we've seen before with like the yeah. dragon and all that. I just, that's fantastic. So, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm not really sure how the shapes work into this, but from the way it looks as we're seeing him walking through hell, and then he gets onto the beach, and things start getting lighter by the time he gets into the house and so forth and whatnot. Did he walk out of hell? It almost feels like that's what he did to me. Mm. I mean, your question is where the hell is he? Yeah. Because, right? okay, so remember when, you know, people are walking through the woods and then they're in hell all the time. Yeah, well, okay. What, they're walking on the beach and now they're not did in you hell. Make? Yeah. Yeah. So I guess if you have the ability, you can just take a left, take a right, take a left, take another left, and there, now you're out of hell or now you're in hell. And to me, it felt like he left hell, for sure. I don't think there's any specific, like, like, directional thing about it. I think it's more like a state of being. So you know what I'm always thinking, where's Roger? And, like, literally, where's Roger? Right. Right. When Johan talked to him, where was he? He's like, your spirit's not here anymore. Like, you know. Right. Like, what, what was the actual physical location that Roger was in? It was like a place that he had made for himself, yeah, almost. Yeah, it was a little garden area that's what i think that's a place yeah but you know it's common i say and then this this room that he walks into almost feels familiar okay that is so funny that you mentioned that so i heard a rumor and i forgot where i read this but i read that this is mignola's living room that Mm. that's what it looks like so wow i don't know if that's true or not listeners uh let me know if if that's correct but i have heard that but i got to talk to you guys about this ending because what happened? I love the shapes. You know what I mean? I it's, love the shapes. We see the shapes. What are the shapes? The shapes are awesome, is what they are. You can't handle it. No, I actually like them. I was telling Danielle, a lot of this was not as well received. You know what I mean? People, because people didn't get it. Fuck people those were like, people. you know, or they didn't want to think about it, or they wanted there to be a concrete ending or you know what i mean and, and i feel like this is an ending i feel like it's this is a perfect ending it could it could there could be no other ending yeah this is the best most perfect amazing ending but to be honest I, I was shocked when i saw the shapes i i even though we had seen the magician and the snake statue i did not in, 
anticipate for that to come back into the story nonetheless the very end oh, of so Hellboy it's so perfect it, it, it really is and I loved it what, what did you think of that ending Matt when you read it it's perfect but it's perfectly unexpected yeah um, it's one of those things where you don't see it coming and then you're like oh man of course they're gonna do it their way which is just it's perfect. You want to talk about a chef's kiss. Yeah. So one of my favorite quotes about perspective on Hellboys from Case. And oh. he said, wow. he said on the message board once, he goes, whatever happens, it will be startling expectedly. Yeah. Right. So yeah. I think what he meant was no matter what happens, you're going to be startled. Yeah. But that's to be expected. Aww. And that's exactly what, what I took from the end of this. Case and called he, it. He said that in because I thought about those shapes for a long time. Yeah. And in 2018, I think I finally got the library edition. Mm. And I was I was going through it and I was going through it. You know, I hung out on that page the longest. And then I was like, well, I should start geeking out over everything in this room and try and figure this out. <laughs> right. Are there clues? And yeah. so like I, I texted uh, John, uh, the actual painting of that guy above the fireplace mantle. He's pointing down like at a globe or something. Yeah. So that guy is like the original flat earther. Um, <laughs> he is a pre-Socratic philosopher. His name is Democritus. I'm I'm not sure how to pronounce his name. He's an ancient Greek philosopher. I think it's Democritus. Is his name? Is he the guy that claimed and... to have squared the circle and then he actually was a fraud and didn't? I thought that was Edmund Haley. Okay, maybe Haley's it's a different, yeah, it's a different dude. No, but I thought this painting was of him oh, with okay. the Earth, and I was like, "Oh, Hollow Earth, BPRD, that makes sense." So I went on the message board, and it's one of the rare times I say anything on the message board, and I just threw it out there, and somebody came right back, a user with the name Joker, and he goes, "No, actually, that's Democritus by Diego Velasquez." I'm probably not pronouncing that guy's name right either, but. It is what it is. He said, read about him because some of his philosophies and his theories are interesting in the context of this last scene. So I did. He was he had some pretty good early atomic theory and theories about the universe. What he came up with was now I'm just reading this off Wikipedia. So, you know, he says he was uh, among the first to observe that a cone or pyramid with the same base and height has one third the volume of a cylinder or a prism respectively. So a pyramid that could be have the same base and height as a cylinder has one third the volume, right? And so that made me think, oh, pyramids, wait a minute, look at these shapes. We have a pyramid, square, and a circle, right? It's a cube. So then I was like, oh, wait a minute, squaring the circle. So like you were just saying. Right, right, right. So did anybody else go down this path? This is like one of those math art things that I have trouble with. Yeah, so this is just basic shape. So I can I can grasp. This. Right. So the, the example I've seen uses the Great Pyramid. Mm-hmm. Um, the base of the Great Pyramid defines a square. And the height of the Great Pyramid defines a circle. Whereby the perimeter of the square is identical to the circumference of the circle. Mm. So 
if you're looking down at a pyramid, which is four sides, it makes a perfect square. If you draw a circle around it, then the corners of that square are sticking out. Mm. And that's how you determine the height of the pyramid. So if you put like a, a cylinder down on top of the pyramid so that the cylinder's roof was resting on the point of the pyramid, then that would, from a bird's eye view, would be a circle. Right. And so that means pyramid, square, circle, all equal. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, yeah. and not literally equal, but they are the same. And that guy also had a lot of philosophies about atoms being different shapes and the space between them being significant. And you can't have those shapes without that space. They don't exist. Right. Wow. And lots of theories about the void and whatever. But I think what Minola was trying to say was that this is like, in its simplest form, perfect. Mm. Sure. And um, we just said it was a perfect ending. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't so know. He, he's like, haha, wink. It they is. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if this is. I don't know if this is anything. But it says here, Dante's Paradise, Canto thirty-three, lines one thirty-three through one thirty-five, contain the verses: "As the geometer his mind applies to square the circle, nor for all his wit finds the right formula, however he tries." So for Dante, squaring the circle represents a task beyond human comprehension, which he compares to his own inability to comprehend paradise. Wow. I love See? that. And they've been, they've Come been on. referencing Dante. Yeah, he was definitely going. He was, he was hardcore referencing there. Dante. And if this, Oh, if this is, I love so, that. So I, I, it's I, not the kind of thing you could just <laughs> look at this page and go, Oh, huh, I know exactly what he's saying. Right. right. There's no way. Well, and okay. So I'd like to pull this into, the magician and the snake because he specifically in this afterword letter says i'm just going to go ahead and leave this here right i'm going to reprint the magician and the snake here for you and leave it there and just let you right think about that and so mm -hmm. i of course immediately read it because it's yeah. right here in the light so I, it's my favorite to, and he says it's his right greatest accomplishment to date like he's like this is the thing i'm most proud of so i'm reading this and it's so simple. It's so wonderful. The magician is like, look, I'm going to have to deal with this. And the snake's like, no, never will I deal with that. And so we come back around to the snake is, in fact, dealing with this. And then how we now we're going to deal with that. And so right. it's like, this oh. is so we come around to like, but the wizard was happy. He was okay with it because of a life well lived. Yeah. And so when you're meeting your end, you're not afraid if you've lived your life well and you've lived it with the people that you've loved. And it really came down to like the snake was like afraid of losing his friend, but the wizard was like, you don't have to be afraid. I'm, you know, the shapes are coming, but it's all right because I'm happy. Yeah. It's going to be all right. And so like the snake ends up dealing with that here. And then Hellboy comes into this room, he sees the shapes, and it's like big glowy thing. It's like, okay, you know, we kind of know. We're the snake. Is... Yeah, we're and, the snake. And he's going to death slash paradise. Yeah, or, whatever. or the yeah. infinite, or the cosmos, yeah. or whatever you want to say, because we were dealing with all this grappling with like, you have no idea about the infinity of the infinite. Yeah. You don't know about, you can just let it go. It's okay. Like these little small-minded ideas about death. You don't have to worry about yeah. that. It's so much more than you can imagine. So these shapes kind of represent 
so much more than we can imagine. Yeah. So much more. The, the, it, rep- it represents the infinite, the cosmos. For me, personally, it represents... And this is like we've been saying, we're putting our own thing on this. John mentioned so many times yeah. to me, this is very... You're supposed to react to it. That's your job. So for me, I'm reacting to this like the shapes represents that final journey. You know, and, the, and the, we don't know other, what that is. I mean, I love that. I, I think that's dead on. That's dead on even in the case where you almost can't say anything wrong or have a yeah. wrong answer. Yeah. <laughs> but, it's that next but journey, like you can't that, say anything about it, you know. The other thing this ancient Greek philosopher said under Ethics and Politics, he, okay. he says he believed that happiness was property of the soul, and he advocated a life of contentment with as little grief as possible. Sure. Which he said could not be achieved through either idleness or preoccupation with worldly pleasures. Mm. So this is kind of what they've been saying about Hellboy saying, before you can start your new life, you have to be done with this one. Oh, yeah. But like, then you can just kind of like, you know, yeah. let it go. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. And that's, I think, uh, like, going back to the magician and the snake, like it says, all we can do is make the most of what time we have. And the snake says, we will. And they did. And that panel is them flying a kite yeah they're flying a kite together so he says contentment would be gained through moderation and a measured life to be content one must set one's judgment on the possible and be satisfied with what one has giving little thought to envy or admiration so i think that you know let's just fly a kite yeah just be cool look isn't this fun aren't we having this is pleasant right yeah we're not climbing the ladder we're not trying to whoop Leviathan's ass yeah. or whatever. <laughs> like, like take a load off. We're being together. Is... We're enjoying, like, and that's the whole fucking, but so it's like the magician died, but he's happy in his passing because he was so well loved by the snake. And here, there you know, are clues in that panel, right? Yeah. Like he's cluing us in. It's not just an ending where he no, yeah. popped out. No, 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 no. It's no. deeper meaning. No, of course. And I think that's lost on people. Yeah. Yes, unfortunately, I yeah. think so. Well, they there's I, and I I hate to say this, but I wonder if they're pushed to apply this to their life. Is it something they don't want to look at just because oh, maybe. of the implications of it? Like mm. that's some heavy shit. Like we don't all face that all the time. You know, I feel like that's how Hellboy lived his life. I feel like you we we kind of have all made it our business to look at this stuff right in the face and be like, what does it mean? And so I think that that's a lot of people you know, maybe don't want that to be a higher thing that's like, we just don't know. Yeah. That's scary to be like, I don't know. You know, <laughs> it's scary to think about the infinite and the cosmos and the next journey and the what is what is it going to be? We don't fucking know. That's not for you to see. It's you can ponder it all you want. But in the end, it's going to be this perfect perfection thing beyond mortal comprehension and you know that's oh, it's just perfect the way that it's paced the way that it's illustrated everything about it to me is so fucking perfect but i guess i don't know i think it's just because i have spent a long time fucking thinking about that shit so i don't well, know but you're I not mean, predisposed then, to that you're gonna be like what the fuck is this but there's those of us without a book club that did it on our own and we're just <laughs> nerding out in a room <laughs> In total isolation by ourselves and came to the same conclusion which i think is yeah is yeah pretty powerful awesome. storytelling no absolutely but- i hope that people who originally were maybe disappointed or 
confuse or upset or like, I don't know, what the fuck is this? That was, that's not a great ending. I, I, it's my hope that this was maybe the catalyst that started them thinking. And I hope they can go back and reread all yeah. this and make these connections and say, wow, that really was perfect. And I hope that it can impact you the same way. And that's the whole reason John got me started reading this stuff. That's the whole reason this we started doing this is because it's like, look, this impacted me. And I want you yeah. to maybe get something out of this too. I think you could. I think you would. And that's something that I'm, you know, that's why I'm reading this stuff yeah. is because I really have felt something so strong. And this is this is the perfect, it couldn't get any better than this this page yeah. for me. Well, you, you know what stood out to me the most besides those shapes, obviously, was the closed book on that coffee table. Aww. Because that means, like, yeah, you could walk into a, you know, spooky room with books everywhere, but somebody was reading that book and it looks like they're done. Yeah. You know, like, they closed the book on it. Is I that, love that. A lot of symbolism oh. there. Yeah, Would... But I don't think this was a cop out anyway. I think this no. was like, no, like he knew it was going to end here for forever. Like he knew this was, he's like, oh, and then the shapes will be there. And maybe he came up with the reasons for that over time. I don't know. But he's laying out clues. There's breadcrumbs all over. It's a life well lived, yeah. man. Yeah. So, okay. So the front half of the comic is all is all loaded with that whole imagery of Hellboy being a giant and then just, you know, kicking ass and all that. And then it kind of switches to that more somber, wandering kind of view. And then I feel like that's kind of just like the story that this whole Hellboy in Hell story has just been. It's just been him been wandering from one situation to the next. And then right before he goes off to fight those demons, they're like, you know, you can't move on to your next life unless you until you finish what you need to do in this life. And then we see this whole story. And then I feel like I feel like he walked out of hell. I don't know where he ended up, but I don't think he's in hell anymore. But I feel like when he gets into this house, it's a place for him to finally be at peace. It's a place like, okay, you're done with all of that. Here's a place for you to be. But, you know, it, it just feels like a comfortable place that Hellboy could conceivably, tech, quote unquote, retire. In, right. Know? I mean, if. I, I, I honestly I don't know what goes after this story, but if this is the end of Hellboy's journey and there's nothing chronologically that takes place after this, because I know we have, you know, Hellboy and the BPRD and the Beast of Arga and stories take place, all that. But if this is like the last story, I don't know. I mean, I, I was just like, okay, I mean, he gets what he wants. He just wanted some peace. And so I feel like this is him getting that peace and that contentment and just that chance to just let it all go yeah i love that yeah and another thing that occurred to me too was especially when i read it was um i thought this was amazing because they keep talking about how he's going to be the beast of apocalypse and he's going to destroy the world and this and that well yeah he destroyed hell he destroyed that world yeah yeah you know what i mean <laughs> he was the beast of the apocalypse he really was the destroyer of worlds but it wasn't the one that we thought it was going to yeah. be yeah i really love that too and to be able to convey the deepest mysteries of the universe and existence with this simple yeah the discussion that we're having just on delicate this image. it's just these little shapes and that's to me like <laughs> yeah man it's incredible why are you the greatest artist of all time why are you the, yeah. why are you the best there's a reason why well, we're going to spend years doing this book club right yeah yeah man yeah 
and then it's like this this final page. No, not the not the panel with the light where it says Hellboy, but where it's like the where it says the end, and it's like that just that one panel yeah. framed in all blackness, it's and nice. you get the stars above and the house, and yeah. I really kind of feel like that that is it. That's it. That that does close the story. It closes the book, and and like even he says like in that afterwards you were mentioning, he's like, you know, he says it might be a strange ending. It sure doesn't work for everybody out there but it's my ending so even Mignola knows that uh, his ending didn't work for everybody but it's the story he wanted to tell and it goes back to that whole thing in the Ford that we saw at the very beginning he, he talked about how like everything that he'd been doing up to this point was to get to this point right you know I even want John to, people, I want John are you John are you gonna read it you gotta read it uh, I wasn't gonna read the whole thing you gotta but read the whole thing he says the nice old lady in the cemetery said, and I love that because now that Matt's theory that she's the angel of death, I like that he would refer to her as a nice old lady. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> the nice old lady in the cemetery said, I knew it was coming, but it arrived so much sooner than expected. Exactly. When I started this series, the plan was that it would go on forever, a rambling parade of standalone stories. Well, that didn't happen. I guess it was just that bit where Hellboy killed Satan that became a bigger deal than I originally intended. How did I not think that would be a big deal? And that pretty much changed everything. I started looking at the thing as one big story. It looked like it would be four books, 20 issues of comics. Then when things started moving faster than expected, it sort of condensed itself to three. Then when I got to the end of issue eight, the whole thing sort of stopped cold. That last page just looked and really felt like the end of the series. I can't explain that other than to say these things tend to take on a life of their own. And sometimes they just tell you when they're done. As I write this, people are already asking, and I keep pointing out that Hellboy is already dead. Has been for years now. How can you ever end something if your character dies and you just keep wandering around? Uh, I just want to read real quick this. Uh, I know you hadn't planned on reading the whole thing, but I just think it's so... Oh, yeah, go It's ahead. such a huge thing that we've just read. It says, Chapter 10, This is always how it was going to end. It might be a strange ending. I'm sure it doesn't work for everybody out there, but it's my ending. I'm not going to try and explain what those shapes represent. I mean, how could you? Instead, we're reprinting here The Magician and the Snake. Out of all the things I've done, this is still the story I am most proud of. My daughter Katie told me the story one day as I walked her home from school. She created those shapes, and I dedicate this book to her. Um, and so, yeah, so he then he talks about the Exorcist of Worsk and all that stuff. But I just, like, I... Yeah. I just, I love that he is so unapologetic about it. He's very, like, look... I don't give a shit. Right. <laughs> this is what it's supposed to be. Absolutely, definitively, this is the best ending. And I absolutely agree with that. Because he has an idea of what this is about. And um, we are supposed to have our own idea of what that's right. about. That's how that works. And so that's, yeah, I really like that. I did want to talk about really quick in this panel where Hellboy sees the shapes. Just before we pan over to the shapes, we see Hellboy. And he's standing in front of this painting of this old woman. She looks like she has like a habit on or something like that. And so when Matt talked about that painting over the fireplace, I started trying to see if I could figure out what any of these other ones are. And that one is Portrait of an Old Woman by Hans Memling. And so I looked up this guy. I couldn't find anything like really interesting like um, like Matt did about that other painting. But I thought it was it, w it was interesting that this is an actual painting. It makes me wonder if these other ones are actual paintings too. Right. So yeah, let us know. I wonder like, it's very specific. Like you can see on the side of her, there's like a little trail. And in the painting, it has the trail too. There's actually two versions of this painting. Um, one is in the Museum of Fine Arts here in Houston. Oh, wow. 
And then this one, the, the one that Hellboy's hanging in front of, is actually at the Louvre. Yeah, so we probably wow. saw, we this probably saw this and didn't even know it. Yeah. Go back and through and look at all your pictures. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then I did want to talk about so uh, after this, we get these pages where they describe Jenks and Dean. In 1868, Joseph Charles Dean fled his native Hoboken, New Jersey, for England, just ahead of a police investigation into the suspicious death of his landlady. He settled in London and in 1875 began attending meetings at Reverend T.S. Blum's Church of the Inner World. There he met and befriended a fellow American, Henry Jenks, a small-time thief recently released from a Kansas City insane asylum. The two seemed to have been genuinely devoted to their church, and when they were banned from it for reasons yet unknown, they took it hard and turned to drink. On August 3rd, 1879, they collapsed together in the road outside the Admiral's Teeth Pub in Whitechapel and were crushed to death under the wheels of a passing milk cart. What? So those are those two guys, <laughs> Jenks and Dean. That's great. And so when we saw them in In the Service of Angels with Sir Edward Gray, they were drinking and they're talking about, I forgot what they were talking about, but a guy passes by them and says, Doom. Okay. And it's never explained. Oh. And they're at the Admiral's Pub bar. The Admiral's Teeth. And so they're going to die like right after that scene. Wow. Yeah. Because yeah, wow. that series takes place in 1879. And that series also features Reverend T.S. Blum's Church of the Inner World. Those are those people that were worshiping the hollow earth. Cool. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah, that's wow. that. She sees the flyer and it has this logo on it, Church of the Inner World. So really interesting there's also one with Amelia Dunn following the murder of her parents in 1902. 45-year-old spinster Amelia Dunn became known as the Rhode Island Lizzie Borden. Though, like Lizzie Borden, she was eventually found out guilty of the crime, she would spend the rest of her life as a near recluse. She devoted herself to spiritualism and, according to a neighbor, descended into a quiet sort of madness. In 1911, she claimed to be in regular contact with a spirit she called William. He would dictate the true secret history of the world to her, and she would spend the rest of her life trying unsuccessfully to have it published. She died a broken woman on September 13th, 1928, and is believed to haunt the rare book room of the Providence Public Library. Ugh, I'd be hanging out with her so much. That's so funny. And so um, so uh, one thing we were laughing about, because I was trying to, listeners, let me know, I thought Amelia Dunn and the True Secret History of the World had already been referenced in another book that we read, but I couldn't find it, and I don't have the time to go through everything um, well, actually, probably do have time, but I just didn't want to. And um, <laughs> But one thing that I found was funny is there is a, a book called The Secret History of the World. But this is the true secret history of the world, yeah. which is why <laughs> yeah, we were laughing about that. I was trying to um, – I was asking Matt and Mark if they knew what that reference is from. So, yeah, listeners, let us know if that's come up before. I know that it comes up later. You know, this Amelia Dunn character, we might hear from her again in the future. Spoiler. But I, I was trying to figure out if it's come up in a previous book. So let us know about that. What I want to know is who is William? Yeah, I was trying to think, what was the name of the guy in the island? That they stabbed oh, through. I don't know. Was his name William? I got to go back and look I'm at that. You, it's like we were saying the island is like penultimate. Yeah, yeah, man. yeah. I wonder. Most. And then I wonder if he ever got off that island, yeah. man. <laughs> and if you go to three twenty four in the library edition, we have the sketchbook in there. We've kind of talked about all the things that are in there already, but they do talk about those three demons that Aubrey and I were mentioning. So Mignola says he actually sculpted their heads for reference, and his wife named them. Donkey, Wonky, and Fizzer. <laughs> <Cute>. <laughs> Those are awesome names. 
There's also an amazing alternate cover that he was going to use for issue 9. He says, I liked all the shapes going on, but in the end, I couldn't overlook the fact that one of the demons, Wonky, has no legs. Oh, no. I didn't even notice that when I looked at it. That's a great cover, (laughs) though. I colored that cover one time. Oh, you got to share that, Matt, so I can share it on the social media. And then uh, flip through that. What else is in there? Okay. And then, yeah, more more uh, demon sketches. Demon guys. They're pretty good. Yeah, and he says, like, he did, fortunately didn't get to use them all in the book, but he just, like, drawn Oh, yeah, they're good. And he says one of them's cute, right? What does he say down there? Uh, unfortunately, most most of these guys didn't make it into the book. I especially want to draw Belial. He looks so cute. <laughs> he does look cute. Aw, he's a cute pie. I think Memon looks pretty cute. Yeah. These are great. These are great, man. And then that's where he Leviathan. puts Hell- Hellboy Cuts Loose. Hellboy Cuts Loose, yeah, yeah that's great. You see the the draft for that panel where he that pulls down awesome. the lightning. Oh, so good. Wow. Yeah, and then at the end of it, it's got all the different covers of the story. And it's lovely because they don't have any of the yeah. advertisement stuff on it. It's just the pictures. Just really great. I find it interesting that it doesn't have five or seven. It says it has one, two, three, four, six, eight, nine, ten. And then Barry, and then Barry and covers for issue one, and then trade paperbacks and the Dark Horse presents, but doesn't have five or seven for some reason. Yeah, that is weird. Wow, I can't believe yeah, we did it. Amazing. We got we and I, and I think we did it a, a good discussion as well. That was amazing. Yeah, so this was an awesome episode, and yeah, so we have some more stuff to take care of in the canon Hellboy verse. But um, oh, n- now I remember what I wanted to talk about. So Danielle and I talked about it like when all this is over, we should all get tattoos of the shapes. Okay. What do you guys oh, think about that? Oh, awesome. That'd be great. Sure. And I was thinking like the member verse. Oh, if you guys want to do it too, you know, you don't have to, but I'm going to throw it out there for you guys too. Maybe we could great all idea. do it since we all kind of share this experience together. Like a kind of a Lords of the Rings oh, cast wow. members kind of a deal? I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I think that might be kind of cool. Like a so, band tattoo. And I don't want to just, and I don't want to just be like, hey guys, let's all get this tattoo. But you know, but it, I think tattoos. it's a good idea yeah. and it would be a simple, you know, it'd be a simple tattoo to get, you know, it wouldn't be that difficult. And I think it would be really cool, you know. And so, yeah, um, I, I, I know definitely we we talked about it. And so, if y'all want to join in, I think that would be so awesome. And maybe some of our book club members too might want to do that. Yeah, I think it's monumental cool. that we could all have this experience together. And just like Danielle said, I this really affected me. It was so powerful. This whole series and how everything wraps up and connects. And it's been so amazing doing Cometh the Hour and now the end of Abe Sapien and Hellboy in Hell. And I just feel like. Yeah, it made me want to share it with other people. That's what it does. You, you're like, I, I gotta be able to, t- just so that way you can have someone to talk to about what does this all mean. Yeah, I've gotten so much just out of this discussion that we've had here today. It's been so great. So, thank you guys for joining us. And so we're gonna take a little bit of a break and go into some non-canon fun stuff that'll be fun. And so we're gonna do that for a couple weeks, and then we'll get back on our canon stuff. And we'll keep going because there is more story, believe it or not, beyond what we've had here. But we're going to take some detours. We're going to see some Ed Grays and some Kashi and some Frankenstein. So we're, we're going to have some really good stories and some really good friends along the way. I'm really excited to get to our next stuff and have a little bit more just kind of levity in our lives. So that's going to be really great. And now Aubrey's going to say all the things. Oh my god, oh wow, like John said, we did it. We got to the end of Hellboy and Hell and Abe Sapien and BPRD. I want you guys to tell us your thoughts. You can send us a hey you damn guys at hellboybookclub at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. 
You can also find all of our resources on our Facebook About section and our Podbean webpage. And always, a special thanks to Paul from Garter Han for the uh, wonderful theme. You know, we love it. We love it. Yes. Uh, thanks to Mark Tudell for creating the reading order. Yes, Mark. Uh, man, you're a rock star, dude. Thanks to John for being, like, just a wizard at editing and directing and just <laughs> making this show so awesome and keeping us going, even in the shutdown. You can find the podcast on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Next week, we are reading Hellboy Weird Tales, The Children of the Black Mound, Lobster Johnson, Action Detective Adventure, Midnight Cowboy, Haunted, A Love Story, and Hot. So you know what to do. Still got to stay home. So wash your hands, read your comics. Maybe if you don't have that particular one, FaceTime a friend and have them scroll through it while you get to read it over your phone or have them read it to you join us next week on the hellboy book club podcast uh thank you so much for listening everybody i'm john salinas i'm danielle i'm matt Strackbine. and i'm already love saying whatever you were you're nothing now oh yeah nice. that was awesome you guys yeah i love this episode yeah. this is one of the best episodes we've ever done oh yeah that's awesome that was great. That was great. I'm so glad you could be on for this one, Matt. 